Someone once said, a good time occurs. Precisely when we lose track of what time it is. And man, oh man, have we lost track of time. What started three decades ago as a single idea has grown into something extraordinary. A celebration like no other. Welcome to the pageantry, the emotion, to the history that is WrestleMania. For three decades, we cheered, cried, love, and lived. have raced as we've applauded the incomparable and stared with disbelief at the unbelievable. For 30 years, we've marveled at the moments that have marked the passage of our lives. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. And with each new year, we get to live it all again. Tonight, we add a new chapter to this unfinished book. The story continues. And the party rolls on. There's only one man that can conquer that street. What would the world be without its hero? At WrestleMania, I will fight for everything. I will fight for my legacy. I don't care if it's Daniel Bryan, Triple H. You're looking at the next champion. I am the past, the present, and the future. You guys underestimate the power of these people. At WrestleMania, I bury Daniel Bryan. Tonight, we celebrate all that was then. Where we are. And what will be forever. Welcome to WrestleMania. Me and old man and, and Forty went to a wrestling convention. Yeah. And it was it was all right, wasn't it? It was a bit weird, but we just got steaming, didn't we? And saw the Nation of Domination. Uh, eating, uh, eating in the Weatherspoons down the road. Yeah. What was they, really they, sad about it is they were getting pestered. Yeah. And, it was just quite, and then they left early, left Apple Burger, left the pint, left a bit of pint, didn't they? Well, which, because we're professionals, we mind swept around it. You're like, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I eat some Medino Brown's burger. Yeah, I've got, I've got left, left over here a, uh, a bit of Ron Simmons' half pint, which I preserved <laughs> in the display box. Ron Simmons was on the old WKD Blues. Very disappointing. It's not what you expect from the leader of the nation of domination, is it? <laughs> no, it's not true either. But oh. <laughs> um, who was it? Was it Thilo, Godfather, and Ron? Ron, yeah. So the really valuable members of the nation of domination. Well, I was just going to say it's astonishing they they, they didn't manage to get the rock. Yeah. That was I when it. I sprinted out of the Weatherspoons, not once but twice, to say hello to Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah. And this was when he um, 
I just say he wasn't in the best health, I think, at this point. So we went to the Weatherspoons about five times in between doing like various things. And uh, I went out and said hello to Brett when I'd had a couple of pints. And then I went out and said hello again to him again later on. This is like hours later when I'd had about six. <laughs> And got to meet Val Venus as well. See, what was really funny is that we kind of went, we got there really early, didn't we? we and uh, then went into the like the hotel slash convention center, and we were kind of like walking around. And like there were a couple of retailers there, but it was mainly just people queuing for autographs of people. So we were there for a bit, and we were like, "There's a couple of points just in the weather spoons <laughs> next door." We went there next door, came back. Oh, it was so much more fun. But we got yeah. went back in after about four points, and it was even more fun. We went in back after about eight. I remember when we got there and we walked around and I can remember being slightly uncomfortable and feeling like I needed to re-examine my life. But as always, a couple of pints, you don't need to worry about that stuff. <laughs> Get those pints down you and then you realise that me and Val Venus is going to be the greatest moment of your life. The best moment, Tinky, is the, the picture where Val Venus is saying, is saying to old man, you need to, we need to legalise it, we need to legalise it, i.e. talking about marijuana. And the photograph that I've got, which I'll post on the social medias if I can find yes. it, is a picture of Old Man with Alvinus both kind of doing like pretending that they're dragging on like a joint. Old Man never smoked weed in his life. <laughs> <laughs> That's good um, because we've had some requests for to see what Old Man looks like. So that will help. Really? Yeah. Have we? Certainly have. From, from, from men or women? I'll let your imagination run wild on that one, Old Man. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Random Wrestling Review, and if you are listening on the day of release, then tonight is the second night of WrestleMania. If you are listening in the days after its release, then we hope you enjoyed the big event. And if you're listening years after, now making your way through the Random Wrestling Review archives, then where the hell have you been? Today on the show, we're covering WrestleMania 30, and depending on your personal views, that will make it either the miracle on Bourbon Street or the night the Undertaker streak ended. Either way, we've got all of that coming up. Joining me on today's pod to help me chop through the thick rainforest of talking points that we have to cover today is firstly Sam Kerry, a.k.a. Old Man. Sam recently found himself thoroughly dissatisfied by ECW and now holds it in the same contempt as he holds me for not yet selecting a show to review that features Val Venus. Old Man, how are you this week? Well, I was doing all right until you reminded me that we've not featured Val Venus, but obviously this is this is a journey and the destination, which will be the Val Venus show, will be our final show in 50 years' time. will be wonderful. I'm excited to be on the random yesling review this week. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously we're covering uh, the porno pay-per-view, aren't we? What does that mean? I'm confused. What do you mean? Uh, well, it's WrestleMania Triple X. Uh... And we all know what Triple X means. Bloody TNA. We're not watching TNA, mate. That's uh, we haven't covered them before, and we're probably, you know, we'll be oh, unlikely what? to do that in the future. <laughs> oh no, I've made a terrible mistake in my life, lads. I thought I'd mispronounced WrestleMania for a moment when you said the WrestleMania thing, so I'm yes. I'm pleased that I got through that. And in, in fairness, in my defence about the Val Venus thing, right? We also haven't covered a show which which has got Dilo Brown in it yet either. It's true. So oh. you know, to be honest, 
I'll prepare the listener because that'll be the most excited I'll be, I imagine. Also today, as usual, we have Tom Smith, who, given the venue for the WrestleMania we are about to cover, will no doubt be eager to describe in great detail his travel through Louisiana, at least if he hadn't already done it. Tom, how are you this week? Yeah, I did wonder to myself what I could what I could say that I didn't because I I can't remember what I said about New Orleans when when we did a show that was there from last time. But it's bloody lovely. Bourbon Street smells like sick. Um, so <laughs> even though it does look very it looks very cool from the pictures, I was thinking to myself it does smell a bit like vomit there. But uh, yeah, lovely place again. Can't recommend it enough. Well, you won't be the only one who can't remember what you said last time because no one listens to you when you start your travel uh, vlogs. <laughs> That's going to be disappointing oh. when, I, when I announce my new travel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> After I leave you two in my fucking rearview mirror, you fucking parasites. Good start. So, um, so you, you could leave us in your random wrestling rearview mirror. Lovely. Oh, yes. Fucking so quick, it. so quick. Before we get underway today, just one request from us, and we'll make it brief. We'd ev- we'd ever so much appreciate it if you would give us a little review and a rating on your podcasting application of choice to help us reach as many people as possible. Thanks so much to those who already have. I can't speak this morning. I'm missing out H's. I'm missing out all kinds of stuff. This will be, I'm sure, very very fun indeed. Um, it's, I guess it's the missing hour, Tinky. It's the missing hour. People, uh, this might not come as a surprise. Well, it might come as a massive surprise, but we don't do this on a Sunday morning and then release it immediately after. We work <laughs> quite quite far in advance, and the, the clocks have just gone forward, and we're all fucked. The amount yeah. I have to edit out, there is no way we could do this the morning of the release of the show. <laughs> it just would take too long to get it out. So, yeah, we are actually on the a morning two weeks before WrestleMania, but this show comes out on the day of WrestleMania. And where we are right now, I don't know if either of you know anything about what's happening at this year's WrestleMania or whether you're interested or excited for it. Uh, don't know, don't care. And I echo Tom's thoughts because there's, to be fair, like, the peak behind the curtains just revealed. We are a couple of weeks ahead, so there's still time, but it's looking like there's going to be no Val Venus on the show. <laughs> so what's the fucking point? Basically? I would be shocked if Val Venus was able to get himself in shape for a WrestleMania 37 appearance, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'd be a bit disappointed if he turned up. I, I feel like the magic's gone. I feel like the magic went when he cut his hair, to be honest. As, as so often happens, hair comes into <laughs> it and your emotions yeah. about a subject. <laughs> oh. there's, there's, there's something about Val Venus, though, isn't there, as well? Because I always remember him, like Kane, when Kane used to wear his mask, used to make tremendous noises in the mm. ring as well. Val Venus is always going, <laughs> and he stopped doing that, I think, at some point. He must have got conscious about it, and then, yeah, as you said, the magic went. Someone must have pointed it out to him. And it would have dented his confidence, and probably that's yeah. why he faded away from the spotlight that he was undoubtedly meant to fill. Do you think that's why he turned into a bit of a, like, gun-preaching nutjob? Conspiracy theorist and yeah. weed-legalising militant, I suppose, is the right word for yeah. it. They seem, they seem like too counterintuitive, like, ideologies to me I, I, I don't know if this is what people tune in to listen to <laughs> it's, yeah, a liber- they- it's a libertarian viewpoint though isn't it which is ultimately people should be allowed to do whatever the hell they want that's the right. idea yeah because that, that's sensible yeah well no, exactly um so yeah that, that that i'm just trying to explain why they they are bedfellows to some people so yeah we are covering wrestlemania 30 today and uh, i think we've got loads and loads to talk about um so let's get on with it overall thoughts on the show starting for, with your no not starting with your match of the night in rating because that's the end of the show we don't <laughs> want to do that yet your overall thoughts on the show uh, without going into too much detail old man mm, i'll be honest it was a bit disappointing interesting yeah yeah i think i'm gonna leave it at that 
that I'm, I'm interested to talk about it with you lads obviously always but to see whether you can sway me on some of the stuff i look forward to trying to do that because you know i do love to try and change people's opinion about stuff um you do thomas i quite enjoyed it i remember enjoying it at, enjoying it at the time when it happened the thing that actually really caught me off guard and maybe it's just because of the the amount of um wrestlemania's that we've, we've watched recently and, and got used to it over the last couple of years but i was really surprised that how many matches there were on it there aren't that many matches as no. as i as i remember in my opinion it's not a great wrestlemania in terms of match quality but it's it's a wrestlemania full of moments um there's there's only really two good matches on the on the card in my opinion but there's lots of really great moments in it um which we can kind of discuss later on in depth uh, but yeah overall i quite enjoyed it yeah i have had to i've been thinking about what i'm going to say about this pre um summary of the show for a little while because i've been like i don't know what i'm going to say about this because there's so much i want to say and in ahead of actually covering it all in detail it, it won't make sense or it, you know it'll ruin some of the stuff we've got coming up so all i'll say is that i really enjoyed it but i agree with tom i think that it is a show of moments as opposed to great matches although i do think there are one or two um great matches included let's just leave it at that shall we and go straight into it now where do we want to begin do we want to begin with the uh promo video at the beginning of wrestlemania 30 do we want to discuss that or do we want to go straight to the opening segment featuring hulk hogan who is the host of wrestlemania i i I give the uh, decision over to you guys the only thing i would like to say is that i think the uh opening credit massive the opening bit massively foreshadows the opening segment because there's loads of like references to the rock in it it's really really obvious that he's going to come out i remember noticing it at the time and thinking hello there's a, there's a there's a massive rock sign at the beginning of that float going down bourbon street that i've been to um and <laughs> and uh yeah and i can remember at the time thinking hello i reckon the rock's gonna turn me. i didn't say it to anyone obviously because i don't want to make a tit out of myself he's a good lad um yeah and then he then lo and behold he pops out that's the only thing and, and watching it back again now it's really really clearly foreshadowing that he's gonna turn up because there's loads of the rock in it despite the fact that he's not been around for a while in fairness it is easy to make predictions seven years after the event took place <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you have to applaud you for that one thing i noticed about the uh the thing is, uh, there's one character front and center in the crowd scene, Seamus. It's like, what's really Seamus? <laughs> but then you see the other people around, and it's like, yeah, Seamus, I suppose. Because who else is there? And yeah, he's he's on a little plinth. He's doing his little like Catholic cross thing, having a nice time. Lovely old job. Well, I love that as well. It's a, it's a it's a, you know a Mardi Gras parade float with loads of people. It's like the Funkadactyls having a little dance around and and some other people and they're all kind of dressed rather flamboyantly but somewhat normal. Seamus front and center pants. That's it <laughs> in his full ring gear. And again, what makes I think what makes it stand out to old man so much and there's there's going to be so much pale Seamus talk across this podcast, but because he's so pale and there's such a colourful like float with all this stuff on it. It just looks so jarring. It really does. You're like, Ugh. he looks like a crab stick. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I noticed about it was obviously they they put these images from WrestleMania past into this carnival, this parade, haven't they? So to try and make it look like you've got I don't know Hulk Hogan posing as if it's in the parade, which is a bit uh, a bit strange, and it didn't didn't quite hit for me. I thought the opening video was quite nice, but it it almost feels like they're closing the door on some stuff 
And I think having watched the show, that kind of feels like, and there's like references to WrestleMania 1 and past WrestleMania, obviously, because it's a 30th anniversary. But yeah, whether they're just kind of trying to shove some stuff to the side. We're both shaking our heads at your 30th anniversary thing there. Oh man, it's just not the 30th anniversary. the 30th anniversary, (laughs) because five years before, we went to the 25th anniversary. They just don't understand it, do they? They just don't get how time works. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I do agree that there is that sense of uh, maybe not just no, maybe not from the video. I may be talking now a bit retrospectively, but overall, I think there's a sense of transition of this show. um, And we can talk about that as we go, I suppose. So we start out with Hulk Hogan being uh, introduced to the crowd as the host of WrestleMania 30. It's important for me to post out this is post TNA Hogan, but pre Hogan is a racist reveal. So he's, he's... <laughs> I, I love the thought of a Hogan racism reveal. <laughs> it's like it's like when uh when my man was the higher power. And there's <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, but Hogan's wearing his clan outfit and just goes It was me, Mr. T. It was me all along. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's that's right. That's how it went. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Like, it would surprise me if they considered a KKK angle in the WWE <laughs> in the past. Do you know what I mean? It really wouldn't. Really wouldn't surprise me. Nor me. So yeah, he comes out. He talks about the fact that uh, he calls the venue the Silverdome, which is a mistake. Which let's just talk about this now. Has he actually made the mistake, or has he made it on purpose? Because it all feels a bit too tidy by the end. No, 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 no. He's fucked it. You could tell. You could tell by his facial expression. He's fucked it. When okay. he says it the second time, you can see his face, and he, he his face dropped, and he has a little giggle to himself, and he realizes that he's that he's fucked up. I mean, as much as you can tell, that he has a giggle with that, with that fucking tash. You don't know what's going on with his mouth, but he um yeah, he's definitely he definitely fucks up, and I think that um. Uh, Austin and The Rock are so good on the microphone and so good at improvising and feel so comfortable taking the piss out of him that that's that's how they do it I think it's just it's just also he though at the end is a bit of self-deprecation at the end from himself and I just wondered this all feels too tidy for Hogan the things that I think to be perfectly honest I reckon he and this is a very strange thing to say about Hulk Hogan but I think he might be put in his place a little bit because he's in the ring and then two other people that you could lay claim to having as much of an impact on it, especially in terms of Austin on the on the business as as he have come down, come down and the crowd are more into them than they are into him. And I wonder if he's like, oh, oh shit, I've got to make it look like I'm self-effacing a bit now. Maybe. I mean, uh, it's interesting. anyway. I thought I mean, I, th- I do think it is a mistake, but I would just I just questioned it for a second because it was a kind of it was very tidily cleared up and almost. They almost managed to make the whole segment about it, which made me think, hang on, how have they done that, given it was a mistake? I mean, maybe just ultimately you are talking about three of the best talkers in the business of all time. You you, you know, you do expect them to be able to um, to adapt pretty quickly. And, and I yeah. guess they do. The thing with Hogan is like as covered when if you think I was just the right gay guy at the right time, like when he seems to have stuff that he has to say, he's a bit shit. And I think, like, because I noticed when he first comes out, I mean, he's probably excited. He's probably just been racially abusing someone backstage. <laughs> so he's, he's probably a bit tired as well. And uh, he's stumbling over his words like a bloody drunk. He also, in an interview, I've seen an interview and I, or heard, I can't remember where this was. I was trying to remember to give it a little plug, but Hogan's talking and he said that, Austin in particular, they didn't discuss what they were going to talk about and he didn't know what Austin was going to be like. 
when he came out. I think he kind of thought that Austin was going to stun him and do the Austin shtick on him, which he kind of does. And Austin, my God, he's fucking good. when, When he comes out, I was just watching him and I was like, fuck. Fuck off. Everyone else, fuck off. Apart from Val Venus, everyone else can go <laughs> suck a fucking... Go go suck their thumb in the fucking sea for like X. Austin is... Aye, best ever. Best ever. The, the, on the Hogan thing about him stuttering, he obviously does start stuttering at the beginning of the of the promo. I wonder if it's just age with Hogan, though. And the other thing, we, the, the Hogan misspeaking about being the right guy in the right place in the right time and all that <laughs> stuff. Again, it's late in his career. It's after he's a, a, an actual active wrestler. These aren't Hogan examples in his peak. And I think we've seen in his peak, he was a phenomenal talker, regardless of whether or not it feels like it holds up now. Like at the time, he was a phenomenal talker. Uh, when you were talking about that, all I could think about was, uh, you know, when he's selling the two referees on Saturday night's main event, and he's like, ah, and he's just in the background where Mean Gene's like talking about it in the promo where, and he's like, ah, oh, God, now I'm telling them. <laughs> who played for the who paid for the plastic surgery? <laughs> Impossible. There could be identical twins. <laughs> so there. Uh, so at that point, as you say, um, you know, Austin, uh, Hogan's done his little bit. Austin then comes out. The glass shatters and the place goes bananas, as uh, as Monsoon would say. And Austin comes out, does his stick. They don't. They don't talk about anything. Like it's not, there's nothing really notable here. In fact, there's quite a lot of almost a little bit sickening kind of sycophancy between the three of them. Like, oh, aren't you amazing? Aren't you amazing? Oh. Um, I did like the bit where, Wrestle- uh, where Austin starts listing the WrestleManias and as after each one, the crowd just chant what? And I was hoping he would go all the way to WrestleMania 30 because he goes WrestleMania 1, the crowd shout back what? And then does that over and over again for every WrestleMania until it gets to about WrestleMania 10 and he gives up. And I was like, just go all the way. <laughs> It'd be hilarious <laughs> if he went all the way. <laughs> There's a slight bit of a noise there because he says, I've seen you wrestle at WrestleMania 1, WrestleMania 2. He doesn't wrestle at WrestleMania 10. He should have yeah. stopped at 9 if he knew what he was, what he was on about. True. And then he should have gone, WrestleMania 9, what? WrestleMania 18, what? And just really <laughs> throwing the crowd. The crowd would have legitimately been like, what? One thing I really like about when Austin comes down is, one, he gives Hogan the full entrance. So when he's going to the turnbuckles, he does what he does. He eyes him up yeah. as he's walking past and then fronts up. And then when he starts putting him over, Hogan looks like he's going to burst into tears. <laughs> and I was like, come on, you. And I was like, come on, you silly daft racist. Don't let you have a cry. But then, yeah, there's one thing in my head through all of this. I just wish he'd stunned him just once. That's the, <laughs> that's the one thing missing. It's one thing. But a man with Hogan's back, I don't know whether he could have taken the stunner. Yeah, if you imagine it, it would be awful. Like that crap Vincent Mann one when he just like falls down and stumbles and then starts seizing on the floor. <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. Uh, I don't, I don't think that pro- that probably wouldn't have worked just simply because of the physical shape that Hogan and probably Austin was in as well. He's not. There's a reason why he's not been in the ring for very many years. In fact, since the last WrestleMania we watched uh, yeah. last week, this is in his portly phase, isn't it? This is where, yeah, he's very much enjoying his retirement at this point because he's in magnificent shape now. Yeah, he wasn't, like, he's still got the arms, but you're right, he's just got a bit more weight. He's carrying a bit more weight than he ordinarily would have done. It makes you feel reassured that if Stone Cold can have a gut, then I'm a late one. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, after they've they've had their bit of uh, you're the best, no, you're the best stuff, we then get another surprise, which is The Rock coming out 
And uh, I've got written here, even though I take into account what you guys said about you, you were kind of potentially felt it was kind of spoilt by what was going on in the video package at the beginning. I've written here goosebumps. I was like, this is just phenomenal. Like I can remember feeling at the time as well, like going out of my mind, just watching on television, let alone I imagine the people in the crowd, like they were expecting Hogan to be the host of WrestleMania. And then they get Austin and The Rock in this kind of, I don't want to call it a dream scenario because I think some people will kind of like turn their nose up at it because it wasn't a wrestling match. And it's three older guys who aren't wrestling anymore, taking up a large portion of time at the beginning of the show. But I've also written here that at some points you just have to lose yourself in this stuff. Um, otherwise, you're going to miss out. And I did. I was watching this and I was just like goosebumps are going on. It's easy for me now to turn around in the light of day and go, some of this was a bit sickening because it was all a bit sycophantic. But in the moment, you're like, wow, this, this is great. I mean, you want to talk about people in bad shape as well. Oh, The Rock. <laughs> He's definitely let himself go. Um, yeah, his, his bit's amazing. It's amazing. I remember when it came, when, when, he, when he, I was not, I say, say I wasn't expecting it. It was in my subconscious. I knew what was going to happen, but I was still, at the time, just, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. It is great. And you're right, Tinky. They are a bit like, oh, you're the best. No, you're the best. I'll stop it. You're the, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> but it is, it is great. It is so good. I love the bit at the end when they do, when they, they all kind of do their catchphrases. It's quite funny. And it, what is quite funny is that Hulk Hogan never really had a sign-off catchphrase. <laughs> so, so the fact that he has to kind of make one up at the end is, is quite good. I love the fact that when the beers come out, which is what inevitably happens, um, obviously Austin's doing it, like doing it proper like he does. The Rock is sipping a little bit more tenderly because he's evidently watching his carbon take. <laughs> and um, it looks like Hogan just don't want to get any beer in his tash because he's so like, <laughs> like sitting like ooh at that. and then like, Austin walks over and like, smashes it in his hand gets beer all over him he's like oh it's amazing uh, the thing I really enjoyed about the rock star he's so in control of them as soon as he comes out but he he puts the lads over in the ring lovely mm-hmm. lovely old job and then he puts over Cena and he puts over Daniel Bryan as well like and compares them to Hogan and Austin respectively and the other thing I noticed is that when Rock is talking, probably the first time him and Austin have been in the ring together and they've not been in character in a feud or doing what they're doing. And Austin is having the time of his life watching The Rock work the crowd. He is just like the respect that he obviously has for him. What I got from this, especially when The Rock comes out, is that there's an odd one out here and it is Hogan. Because I think like Austin and The Rock have a humbleness to them that Hogan doesn't. I wrote down like when um when he obviously makes the mistake with the Silver Dome, there's a rare moment of Hulk Manity, which is Hulk Hogan humanity. <laughs> but yeah, apart from that, like Do you mean Hulk Hulk, Hulk Millity? Hulk Millity, yeah, that's it. That's better. See, that's that's why it works. That's why this pod works. Yeah, what they should have done, we were saying about Hogan being the other one out, they should have brought out like a Harley race. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> like, oh man. What they could have done is brought out the warrior before the Rock and Austin to talk to Hogan. And oh. then had Austin and the Rock come out. Then you'd have equals on either side of the ring, maybe. I tell you what, I'm not sure how hard to go on this. 
but Ultimate Warrior is a piece of shit. He is horrible. And I they show clips of his um, Hall of Fame speech when they bring them all out later on. He's just putting himself over like he's done nothing wrong, completely forgetting that he's basically shat on everyone ever. Grabbed a lot of people by the bollocks, apparently, when he's given him the, the Warrior Slam. If Warrior had come out, I'd have probably turned it off, to be honest. It was it was uh, only in response to the highly raised suggestion that I. No uh, no no! You you've been bloody champion in Ultimate Warrior all your bloody life. I'm bloody sick of it. One thing we haven't touched on is how incredible the arena looks. Yeah. The sign it just looks amazing. It's got obviously various lights and it's got the screens, so mm. it kind of changes for whoever's doing their entrance. It is really good. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing, of course, really the reason Hogan is the odd one out is because. Austin and Rock were around at the same time, so and they were big stars at the same time, and they had three WrestleMania matches against one mm. another. Um, as Tom said, arguably the greatest rivalry in WWE history. So, like, that's another reason why they're all odd yeah. ones out. I think the Rock's role is really interesting here because he doesn't really get the same kind of level of you're the best from the other two. He just comes out and puts them over, and even says at one point that they are the two biggest stars in the history of WWE, leaving himself yeah. out. Which I would argue, you could definitely argue that that's not the case. So it's interesting that he would just come out and say he would just come out and say it. again. It kind of shows either it shows the Rock's humility. Or it shows that he knows how to play the game best and make himself look humble. And I'm, that's probably more likely, but all the same. Yeah, well, and also, like, it's hard to listen to anyone flap their gums about best ever when Val Venus doesn't come up. <laughs> so it's, he's obviously working the room. Like, if Val Venus was in the ring, they'd have all been doing the older uh, bowing to him. Come on, Val Venus. Of course, if he'd have turned up, he would have been wearing his towel because he's a yeah. proper fucking man. Whereas these guys turned up in their normal clothes. Apart from Hogan wearing his stupid bloody sunglasses. Indoors. And they don't fit. The other thing to say, of course, is Val Venus. Val Venus is true. Huh? <laughs> I can't really see that. <laughs> Of course, the other thing to say that is that if Val Venus had turned up, then quickly in tow would have been D'Lo Brown. So we'd have had five by the end of it. Um, oh, can you imagine the f- <laughs> if Val Venus is fucking <laughs> kicked in and then the fucking... You're looking at the real deal now. <laughs> and what a different experience that hey, would have been. If there was one way to take this this moment up a notch, I think you just found it. Oh, it's, I love I love the idea as well. Like it, it happening in it happening in the arena. In the arena, and everyone else is like completely silent. Like what the fuck? And all you can hear is just you two just going like ah, ah, fight forever. <laughs> I'd say who is missing is conspicuous by their absence, though. Uh, but there's someone dressed up like him very convincingly in the crowd. Big IRS. Yes. There's a guy with an there's a guy with an amazing IRS costume in the crowd and next to an amazing looking million dollar man. Yeah, so the incredible. million dollar man is much better than the IRS one. He looks because he's he's really he's really had to make an effort. The guy with the IRS has just got some braces, a white shirt, and a red tie, so he's really not had to do much. The million dollar man dress up is he's amazing, got, but he's oh. stuck behind the guy who's dressed as IRS for nearly the whole show. You can barely see him because he just the guy who's dressed as IRS is just almost constantly stood just in front of him. It's really quite frustrating. Well, the guy the guy who's dressed as IRS knows that he's the star. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Uh, I, and also, IRS is doing his job. He's protecting the million dollar man from the people trying to get his money. Indeed. We get to 23 minutes into the show by the end of this um, segment, which has to go down. It's got, I can't think of anything else on WrestleMania history 
that is a longer non-wrestling segment than this. I don't think there is one. The only one that comes to mind is the following year when Rock Rousey. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh God. That agonizing thing where they were trying to set up a match that never happened. Yeah, let's let's not let's not um, get too into the next year's WrestleMania, shall we? We'll leave that for another day. Well, I don't want to do that one. Well, <laughs> if it comes up, it comes up, Tom. We're not, we're not doing it now anyway. This is the last week of oh. our WrestleMania season this year, so don't worry about it. For at least a year, you're free of it. That is the, one of the worst things I've ever seen. Well, we, as I said, as I said, let's not go into it too much. We will, if we get to it, we get to it. If we don't, then be happy. The opening match then begins. So this match doesn't start until 35 minutes into the show. So that certainly has to be the longest you've had to wait for the first match at WrestleMania. It is between Daniel Bryan and Triple H, and for is for a place in the main event alongside Randy Orton and Batista for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. This one, as I say, goes 26 minutes longest match on the show and daniel bryan wins with a running knee at the culmination of the match tom let's start with your thoughts on it oh it's such a good match it is the best match on the card spoiler alert for my review later but it is it's so good um this is everything about it this is triple h's last good match in there i think i can't think of any that he's had since then well maybe tied up with the tag team match with Shawn michaels against the Brothers of Destruction in, the, uh, in, the, in Saudi Arabia. Um, but it, it is so good. Daniel Bryan is so unbelievably over in a way that we hadn't seen for an incredibly long time and haven't seen since as well. There's no one has been over the deep. It helps the, 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 the yes, the yes chant and the movement. It gives you a visual kind of representation of how over he is because literally or over that is because you can see everyone in the crowd doing it and it's phenomenal um triple H is brilliant stephanie mcmahon is magnificent on the on the outside throughout the entire match regardless of the the fact that she's dressed absolutely nuts i don't know what's <laughs> going on there she doesn't get involved in the match at all she's just constantly there it's on the outside just taunting him which is just so good there's a there's a bit in it where like um where something happens, I can't remember what, like, I can't remember what movie it is, and she just starts doing this really patronising yes chant outside the, outside the ring, and the crowd are just, oh, they're full of piss and vinegar at that point. It's so good that the end of the match is done, the, the, the way the, the way the, the kind of finish happens, and it's just a great, a great match. It is indeed. Oh, man. I echo what Tom said. So I put down that Stephanie McMahon is dressed as a sexy Colonel Sanders. That's, <laughs> that's basically what I... Let's get back to start. The video package is phenomenal because it it does what all these video packages should do. It just condenses everything down lovely. And the MVP in this match is Stephanie, I think. And that is incredibly high praise given what goes on in the ring. It starts with Triple H's entrance. It's such magnificent shittery, isn't it? It's like some of his entrances have quite rightly been a bit... Uh, like we mentioned the Terminator entrance the other week. Like... They don't always hear, but this is just magnificent. I mean, the crowd, like you said, Tiggy, at the start of this match, it's 35 minutes gone. There's an hour and three minutes by the time they end. If I was in the crowd, I would have been fucked. I would have been absolutely fucked because it is nonstop. They get everything absolutely perfect. Like Daniel Bryan has like kind of like a little hot moment and Triple H clotheslines him out of his stupid little furry boot things, which I really don't understand. I don't understand the furry boot things that Daniel Bryan's wearing, but the crowd dead instantly. You know, there's absolutely no way that Triple H is winning this. 
like regardless of how far it's gone like you know something is happening and Daniel Bryan is going to be in this main event but they made they made me believe seven years later and they got me invested and the finish is it's incredible because it comes from nowhere and it's quite rare. I can remember watching this. I think we watched it together, all three of us, <laughs> with a couple of other friends. And I can remember at the time just thinking how brilliant it is. And also, Daniel Bryan does his like run and kick thing. Only does it once and beats him. So he's instantly like he's protected the finish as well. And he's kicked out of the pedigree. Magnificent. I can remember at the time, so I think a couple of years before this, this happened, Saying to, to you guys, I'm sure I said it to you, Tiki, how amazing it would be if Triple H opened the pay-per-view. Yeah. Like that music. Like well, that we were music talking about it, WrestleMania 25. That's uh, no, right, 20, yeah. 26, sorry, when Triple H fi- faced Sheamus. And we were like, yeah. how amazing, I think you did suggest it, it was how amazing would it be if the first match was Triple H versus Sheamus? Because there's no need for it to be later in the show. It's not a particularly important match. It's just one of a number of matches with big names on it. And it, yeah, you're right. It would be perfect to start with that music. Yeah, and it does. And it's just amazing. The one thing I wanted to say about this, I, I imagine this might be something that you that you might touch on, Tinker, because you said you've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of thoughts about this and a lot of things to say. But what really struck me with this match as well now i think they i think they kind of stumbled into it a little bit in terms of the way it was booked and the way because i don't think they ever did want daniel bryan to ultimately be the headliner asked why would you have got batista back in to to be a headliner it wasn't until like post rumble when they obviously decided to change tact and swerve and put it put it on batista but what they what they, they did everything take it into context with the booker team match that we had last year which last week. they did last yeah sorry last week yeah fuck me was that only last week um <laughs> yeah the, the way the, the build up to the to the way it happened and with daniel bryan winning is exactly what should have happened with the booker team you know because the, the entire build up is D- triple h and stephanie and stephanie saying you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough you can't be this person and then he overcomes that adversity and it means that all that build up has been worth it because he's proved them wrong which is the exact opposite of what happened with the Booker T Triple H match at WrestleMania 19. Yeah, and I guess, I guess the difference would be is that in Wrestle in the case of WrestleMania 19, it was in bad taste. Here, as well as the Booker T one, it also would have been bad booking. So yeah. it's bad booking anyway, but then in the Booker T sense, it was also in bad taste, whereas here yeah. it's just been bad booking. Um, So yeah, I do have loads of thoughts about this whole thing because I think it's so, I honestly think this is probably the most fascinating WrestleMania possibly ever, if I'm honest. There's so much to talk about here. First of all, the thing you were saying about being over, Daniel Bryan's more over than anybody else. I want to kind of stamp a little bit on that word because I don't think it's the right word because... In the in the past, and I think it's been lost a little bit, but in the past, over was a word used for either popular or hated. So if you were a heel and you were over, that meant you were massively, you had so much heat on you, it was unbelievable. We don't, people don't tend to use it in that context so much anymore. But I want to use it because I, I want to kind of t- turn turn it back to the old use because Daniel Bryan's more popular than anybody has been for such a long time it's not just over Cena was massively over just in completely contradictory ways Daniel Bryan as a baby face is popular and more popular I think than anybody had been for such a long time before this and possibly has ever been since like I don't know if there's been a more popular baby face guy that they are making the main event of Wrestlemania than Daniel Bryan was at this point I also don't think this is the peak of his popularity his peak came about nine months before this at SummerSlam 
2013 when he beats John Cena in the main event of that that show. Um, and he is so popular and so over in that moment. And it's stamped out by Triple H in the aftermath. Some people will argue that WWE had this sort of master plan to get Daniel Bryan from that point to the main event of WrestleMania. I say that if that's the truth, then it's a terribly booked nine months because Daniel Bryan was not as popular by the time he got to WrestleMania 30 as when he won the title at the end of SummerSlam 2013. What you are trying to do, and if you were from that point on planning to have Daniel Bryan in the main event of WrestleMania 30, you would not do so many of the things that they did to Daniel Bryan during that period. For example, not being able to overcome the challenge of Randy Orton over the next three months on pay-per-view during the autumn. You wouldn't have then shifted him sideways into a nothing feud with the Wyatt family. You wouldn't have had him turn heel for a couple of weeks, uh, regardless of whether you were going to expose that as a ruse later on, because it dented his popularity. You wouldn't have treated him with the kind of throwaway way that you did at the Royal Rumble 2014. It just doesn't fit at all. It's not it's not true. It wasn't a master plan. The reason this happened is because, first of all, Batista was not received well by the vast majority of WWE's fan base. They tried to set him up as a babyface, and that was a massive mistake because the fans just weren't interested in him in that respect at this time in um, history. And also CM Punk walking out on the company the night after the Rumble 2014. We know from Daniel Bryan himself, who spoke about what he understood to be the plans for WrestleMania 30 in a, in the months leading up to it was that Daniel Bryan's match was supposed to be against Sheamus for the third time in a row um, at WrestleMania. And they and we also know from CM Punk that he had been lined up to face Triple H at this year's WrestleMania. Um, and that was one of the reasons why he walked out, because he didn't want to be in a match with Triple H at the at Mania. We also know that Daniel Bryan has said that um, he, as far as he understood, when he turned heel with the Wyatt family, that was supposed to be a permanent thing. They just made the decision to change it later on because they realised it was it was stupid. Can we just go back to the best of three matches between Daniel Bryan and Sheamus? <laughs> the rubber match that nobody wanted. Yeah, <laughs> so totally. Like, oh, so that's such a baffling decision. And yeah, you're right. They they stumbled and fell their way into this amazing angle. They definitely did. They definitely did. And. I said last week when we reviewed WrestleMania 19 that there are no classics on that show. There are three great matches. There are three very good matches. There are no classics. This is a classic in my mind. This match is a classic. It's 26 minutes of absolute quality in front of a raging hot crowd with a clear baby face and a clear heel. Yes, there is some smattering of Triple H chants, but nobody's in question about who the good guy is in this scenario, not just because of how they portray it in the ring and what's going on outside the ring with Stephanie and the way she's behaving, but also just because you listen to the crowd, you know who they want to win. You can hear who who they're behind in the vast majority of numbers. And they do some amazing stuff, some great work, some absolutely phenomenal crowd control, as you said, you know, bringing them down and then taking them back up and then bringing them down again. Working through this story of Daniel Bryan's injured shoulder. They're just doing everything. This is classic. This is absolutely classic. It's got all the ingredients of a classic match. And WWE, I give them some credit, timed it beautifully in terms of the show because they've just had them follow Hogan, The Rock and Austin. Who else on the entire roster could have done this at this point? Like you, if you'd put out The Shield next in their six-man tag match, for example, as the first match of the show, would come, come nowhere near sustaining the crowd enthusiasm for the next half an hour, which is what they do. But no, they put these guys out and it absolutely does, which makes the first hour of the show 
phenomenal in my view the first hour of the show if you are capable of losing yourself in the in the just surprise and excitement of austin the rock and hogan being in the ring in the first 20 minutes of the show and then you're fully invested in the match which this crowd absolutely was it's an amazing first hour of a show but yeah they didn't mean to get there they didn't mean it to come to this um they just got very lucky that it did so away from the tremendous match and i agree completely with what you've said tinky completely i think we, we all know it i rolled with those punches it was lovely so we've got a couple of crowd issues here one person in particular bobby g i don't know who bobby g is but i reckon they're going to be listening through pretty much the duration of this match they are stood up holding this fucking sign that says bobby g the disrespect for the people behind we had this last week with a sign yeah as well the disrespect fortunately this match is absolutely amazing so it didn't detract my enjoyment but all i could think was those poor fuckers behind who didn't get to experience this this master class of a wrestling match because of bobby fucking g <laughs> scum and also I've got a question about some merchandise we've touched on this before i'm interested to hear especially your opinion on this tinky so i noticed some foam arms the yes foam arms yeah. in the crowd where do they sit in the pantheon of shit merchandise for you they are top notch i want to get a pair of them they're fantastic <laughs> um no i i i genuinely think that because at least i think with the hogan like because obviously the hogan finger was the first one with like the up up kind of thing and that fair enough and it was very very popular i'm sure then you had the austin uh twist on that which was the middle finger which again Makes sense. You're you're not creating just a foam thing for no reason. It's still on your hand. Makes perfect sense. And the same with the arms. Like I get like I don't I don't think they are wearable though, which is perhaps a mm. which is perhaps a down point of them. But if they had been wearable, I mean I may may be wrong, but they don't look they don't look like they are wearable. If they'd been wearable, I think they would have been absolutely perfectly understandable twist on the same thing. The the issue I had was with the foam objects that you hold in here like as tom brought up the razor ramones razor and bret hart's heart like they just don't make any sense to me but i i don't mind twists on the original concept you've got arms and you've got fingers why the fuck do you need to buy foam ones you need you can't you can't hold your heart above your head or a little razor blade no one's gonna see it you're talking bollocks thinking <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I accept that I may be and I may be very biased on this point. And that's what I was kind of trying to get to, actually, is that objectivity for me on this show is very difficult because the Daniel Bryan journey for me wasn't just something that started with the SummerSlam before. It had actually been the reason I got back into wrestling with Daniel Bryan in, in certainly into WWE, because from almost from day one, when he showed up on NXT as the Miz's kind of rookie, there was an interest in him. And again, they, this is where I think WWE sometimes are able to get away with the idea that they planned all this, because even in that first day, they are on that theme of trying to bury Daniel Bryan and the sense that the Miz is there to kind of make him look less than he than he actually is trying to down do down the things that he has done prior to coming to the WWE. But also I wrote a fairly, fairly long piece for, it was before I was even doing anything for WrestleTalk. I'd written something for some uh, website, which I think is called Cult of Whatever now. It was called something else in the day, maybe Wrestling 101 or something. And it was about Daniel Bryan's rise about two or three months before, or maybe a month before SummerSlam, where I basically 
went into some detail about how WWE had effectively done nothing to help Daniel Bryan reach the level of popularity he had managed to that point. And yet Daniel Bryan had turned everything they'd given him, all the crap they'd given him for the previous two, three years into gold nearly every single time. There was the whole AJ Lee business where he was basically the butt of the joke at the end of it, where basically AJ Lee hadn't said yes to his proposal. There was the Seamus kind of what 20 second victory or less uh the previous wrestlemania there was all the stuff even team hell no it was just comedy stuff with kane where where they turned it into gold but in lesser hands it would have been forgotten about in like a in a few weeks time and i just it was so i was really invested in daniel bryan's journey through this period because i just thought he had almost been the antidote to the way wwe had presented so many wrestlers in the past in a way that wasn't of use to them wasn't good for their overall um, build or the way that they were trying to portray those people Daniel Bryan just excelled at turning it into something worthwhile something valuable and almost by sheer for- force of will he made people care about him in a way that I don't think we've seen hardly at all ever but certainly um, in the last 10-15 years very few people have been able to do it the way Daniel Bryan did. No the only the only thing that gets even gets close is Kofi yeah. when he yeah when he won the title and obviously it's Daniel Bryan who puts him over mm. yeah a lovely lovely thing and then we move on um, we do indeed because next up is the six man tag match which features Kane and the New Age Outlaws representing the Authority against the Shield this one goes just three minutes and is won by the Shield when they triple double power I don't even know what to call it but yeah they they as a group powerbomb <laughs> both Billy Gunn and Road Dog and uh, get the victory uh, oh man let's start with you because I got a feeling this is where you're going to start uh, going to start falling down a little bit on the show. Yeah, so, well, it's good to see S.H.I.E.L.D., not only Hounds of Justice, but they can see the future because they're wearing some COVID masks, which is good when <laughs> when, uh, when they come down to the ring, safety first. Um, this is, I think this has to be taken in the uh, wider context of the fact that, one, you've got two guys in the ring who probably shouldn't be, in Billy Gunn and Road Dog, just because, like, really, like, no one really cares. And obviously came to that, and because... You'd imagine they're running a little bit behind time at this moment. Um, yeah, it it happens, and I'm perfectly happy with it. I enjoy JBL's commentary when uh when he they get um uh old Billy and Brian up for the uh double power bomb. He says that's a hundred years of power bomb right there. <laughs> it, it's an impossible position, and I think it's fair that they put these guys in there. I think because. The Shield aren't going to lose anything from smashing these old guys up. The old guys ain't going to lose anything by being smashed up by the Shield. Everyone can go and have a piss, maybe a dump, grab a beer. Lovely old job. Yeah, and I think that's it. I mean, to be honest, for a six-man tag match, which lasts three minutes, you're never going to be kind of bored by it. It's only that, it only lasts three minutes. And I think what they had here was fine. And they not only that, but I think they solidly put over the the shield as a as a force. Like it wasn't like they had to like sell much for Kane and the old age pensioners. Um, they. <laughs> They did. Uh, they did fine, and I think. Um, I think it, for me, this doesn't drop the show. If this match 
it, you know, if if you're if you're sort of saying, oh, this is not a very good match, well, it's three minutes. It's not meant to be anything special. And we have just had an hour's worth of everything coming at you. And I guess this doesn't stop really because it's still really fast, and they all they do all kind of power moves and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I, I and I and it actually manages to hold the crowd's interest for the three minutes as well. So yeah, I find it hard. I don't want to criticize them for it at all. I think it was fine. Um, I didn't think it did any damage at all. Uh, Tom, there's part of me that thinks this match was always supposed to run short due to the fact that you've got you know the new the as he said thinking the eloquently put the the old age pensioners in there um i would have got old age outlaws but yours is much better so i i uh, I'm very much bowed to that but so it makes me believe that it wasn't going to be that long anyway however um i do definitely get the idea it was probably shorter because the first match went long it's a good opportunity for you to be like oh christ no, i could take a take a little bit of a rest as old man said go for a dump get yourself a beer maybe 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 a nice maybe a nice hot dog or something like that and then uh, it reset again for the uh, what I'm sure is going to be what everyone was looking forward to is the next match. Just a very quick note on the road, Doug, Brian Armstrong. Um, the day that we're recording this, I read this morning that he uh, he's had a heart attack. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, he is well on the road to recovery. So, yeah. Best wishes, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because one thing I did notice, the, uh, oh, you didn't know, then you better call somebody. Obviously, didn't feel comfortable saying the word ass. I was told that he wasn't allowed to say ass. When they came down, mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, it's kind of strange because they came out, did that little bit, stood at the top of the ramp. Then the shield came out, got to yeah. the ring, and then Kane came out mm. to join the new yeah. Jack was on the on the thing. I don't anyone know, know why they would, did that order. <laughs> I'm guessing that the shield were waiting in their little areas, and someone was trying to grab their bumps, and they were like, "Right, we're gonna have to bloody get these guys down those stairs because someone's grabbing their asses." Maybe that's why they couldn't say ass, because someone had grabbed the shield's asses and they had to get them out of their little concession area. Or they were trying to buy hot dogs and they were like, get your, your bloody music's on. You've got to get down there, lads. I mean, I think I think both options are probably as likely as each other. Um, mm-hmm. So I won't dwell on that too much. What I do, what I did like, though, is the uh, the awareness of uh, Road Dog to um, have a little have a little jump when Kane's pie went off as if he was scared. <laughs> a lovely touch. Next up, uh, we have a backstage segment where Sergeant Slaughter and Jim Juggins, Jim Juggins, Jim Juggins. <laughs> I don't know why that's brought me. Jim Juggins. Jim Juggins. Imagine oh. the career he would have had. <laughs> if he brought instead of a two by four, he brought a big, big jug to the ring with him and started waving that around. <laughs> and then started uh, blowing into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like an old timey jug band. <laughs> We're going to need some time now because uh, these guys are going to be falling over themselves. Um, I would, I will try and get through this before we go to break for the first time. Um, so, Sergeant Slaughter and Jim oh. Duggan are uh, playing with the Sam Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you want to have a break and then come back to this segment? Let's have a break and we'll come back in just a moment. (laughs) What? Another fast count, dangerous Daniel Davis. I want a rematch. Sorry, Sarge, you're not going to get one. Another slam city WrestleMania victory for old Hacksaw. Ho! Who's next? Else now. What, what the? Hey, bring that back. 
haven't you guys figured it out yet? Whether it's in the WWE or in Slam City, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. Welcome back. So uh, I think we've just about got over the giggles following that last uh, little bit. Um, I will try now and uh, put it correctly. So Sergeant Slaughter and Jim Duggan are playing with their Slam City toys backstage. Um, and Danny Davis is refereeing the uh, the contest. Um, after, they, after Jim Duggan wins, Ricky Steamboat uh, comes along. And uh, I don't really know what he does. He doesn't really do very much. He sort of seems to suggest they should just calm down. The toys get taken away by some bloke we've never we've never heard of or seen before. I don't know what he's doing here. And then Ted DiBiase arrives. He says a little bit and then and walks away. <laughs> and then Ron Simmons arrives and makes everything all right because he just says, damn. It's, and, and to be honest, even though none of it made sense until that point, it's all good because Ron Simmons came along and said, damn. So I think that, um, so yeah, you're right. You've kind of talked it through, but I'm going to kind of break down a little bit what I think the actual storyline of the segment is. <laughs> So, um, so Sergeant Slaughter and all big jugs are having a little fight with their toys, <laughs> which, uh, which, which, uh, Danny Davis, yeah, as you said, referees with it, with a rather fetching sailors looking tattoo on his form, which I, which I don't remember him having back in the day. Then old Steamboat comes in, he's left his kid somewhere, um, and <laughs> challenges the winner to a match who I believe is big jugs. Then that guy comes over and Ted DiBiase buys all the figures. Ah. He's bought all the figures. And then, because everyone's got a price, including these Slam City action figures. And then Ron Simmons comes in. The insinuation is, though, that I think these Slam City figures must be very expensive. <laughs> if the million dollar man's able to buy them off of someone else rather than just get them himself. I think that chap coming in should have been Virgil. But I think yeah. Virgil was too busy being mental on Twitter and talking about meat sauce. To, uh, to get there on them. <laughs> this just seems the perfect spot for Val Venus, doesn't it? <laughs> just... do, you, do you not think it kind of uh, is below him, old man? Well, you've got Big Jugs, and he was obviously a porn star gimmick, so you've got Jim, Jim Juggy. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I tell you what, I know on Steamboat, so I, I was a bit weirded out when he comes in. I don't ever remember him making, like, what are stereotypically karate noises and in inverted commas where he comes in and he does the whole ah, and it's like what's he doing why is he doing that and then i realized he's trying to be funny some people just ain't funny let's not get into another rant about how ricky steamboat isn't as good as people say is we've probably got many pay-per-views coming up to do that <laughs> yeah well because steamboat i've heard him say himself that he thinks he's the best stand-up on the circuit as well <laughs> i ain't having that shit he's no tim vine i'll tell you that much in fact he's he's probably no jeremy vine to be honest <laughs> so up next we have the andre the giant memorial battle royal um now i was going to list off the competitors for this match and i did try to write them down in my notes as we went but it was it was impossible so here's the list we have got 
Yoshitatsu, Brad Maddox, Brodus Clay, The Great Carly, Zack Ryder, Darren Young, Drew McIntyre, Jinder Mahal, Heath Slayer, Mark Henry, Titus O'Neil, The Miz, Santino Morella, Xavier Woods, Damian Sandow, Justin Gabriel, David Otunga, Big E, Fandango, R Truth, Sinkara, Tyson Kidd, Goldust, Cody Rhodes, Rey Mysterio, Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, Alberto Del Rio, Sheamus, Big Show, and Cesaro. You'll notice that was in order from first eliminated. One thing I would say to you is that all that list tells me is that there are too many people in this battle royal because in the first five minutes of this goodness they don't they can't do anything there's just no nah. space whatsoever no it's 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 really i mean battle royals are shit anyway yeah. um but but this one with that many people you can't you can't see anything there's an amazing bit in it where oh fuck do you know that's what i get for not taking notes but there's someone tries to do something and can't do it because people keep getting annoyed well, that, that, that pretty much does summarise the yeah. the entire first five, six minutes of this battle royal, mm. not just because of the fact that no one can do anything, but also because you can't see who any of these people are. You don't know who they are. There's just someone does something to someone, and I couldn't make out who it was because it was obscured by seven other people. Uh, hideously inappropriate, xenophobic, borderline racist joke from Jerry Lawler in there at one point. Oh, yeah, I didn't hear this Where- one. He says, I hear 3MB have been touring China in their walk band, insinuating oh. that Chinese people can't say their R's properly. I see. Wow. I, I'm glad I missed that. I'll be honest, I my brain kind of switched off, so I was distracted by a couple of things. First of all, the big show is incredibly bold. And I was like... <laughs> when you say bold, do you mean like he's not got any hair on his head or he's being quite brazen about his well, actions? A, a bit of both, to be honest. But um, yeah, he's um, I was like, he looks like a giant baby. Not another one. We had one yeah. before. Yeah, with old Mantor. I mean, he's no Mantor, let's be honest. But um, yeah, and over his, he's got like his chest is shaved in that, and I was like, oh, that's why he looks so weird. And then I noticed that he gets pyro, so I was like, oh, big show got some pyro. And I was like, this was pretty much where I think I was tired at this point, so I did it all in one go. So when WrestleManias are outside, not just outside in like someone's garden, but like in in arenas and stadiums, do you reckon the pyro caused problem for night flights? And do you reckon, I was guessing they probably do, but do you reckon WWE have to get some dispensation for that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, possibly. Mm. But I guess guess you don't have to for, well, yeah, you probably do for big organised fireworks displays in general, I imagine. So, yeah, probably. Mm. I, I didn't notice that the big show had pyro, but I did notice that Batista doesn't on his entrance. So you're gonna give gonna gonna give fucking pyro to the big show who jobs out in a fucking thirty one man battle royal that no one gives a fuck about, but you can't <laughs> give it to the movie star main eventer. They also the only other person they gave an entrance to, at least by the evidence of what's on the network, and that who knows if that's cut down or what, but is Seamus. So Seamus mm-hmm. and Big Show are the only two people to get an entrance here. I'm going to defend the battle royal a little bit because I think for the first, as I said, for the first six, seven, maybe even eight minutes, this is like, God, like what it, this is about. Absolutely. This is still part of Operation Calm the Crowd Down after the first hour of mental stuff. But the last five, six minutes, I think it's a pretty entertaining ma- ma- battle royal. There's some pr- pretty cool stuff and they organize it pretty well. The the bit where Kofi Kingston gets chucked out over the top of the um, over the top of the turnbuckle lands 
with his feet on the steel steps and then falls on his back but with his feet still on the steel steps incredibly impressive like Mm -hmm. way more impressive than the rumble stuff he's done previously this was like how did he do that like i really was shocked that he managed to do it and there were lots of other cool spots i just think that towards the end they 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 did really well kofi as i said got spotlighted quite a lot had the big swing done on him um, oh, sorry. I love Kofi Kingston taking a Cesaro swing because he yeah. he's all arms, isn't he? Mm. Oh, it's amazing. It, no yeah, one yeah. does it better. Yeah, they, I don't like it when. I mean, I know why they hold their head. Obviously, it's to stop them from um, hitting the back of the head. Makes perfect sense, but it just it makes it look far too much like a sort of like they're enjoying it, like they're relaxed mm. and like this is quite fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then the final and then the final bits where Cesaro and Big Show are facing off. They, the crowd are invested. They want to see Cesaro mm. win, and when he does, and he slap like he lifts Big Show up into the slam position. They pop. They really pop for it. Yeah. So I, I, I got to defend a little bit towards the end for a match which is there to calm everybody down and, and let them not not care for a little bit. It still it still manages to get them there. So I, I do. I didn't think it was a bad match overall, at least for a battle royal, I suppose. The ease in which Cesaro lifts up the big show is extraordinary. I didn't realize he was strong because no one ever mentions it. <laughs> but, the the, the 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 he does he just pops him up like he's fucking anyone it's ridiculous yeah. like even like you think back to, i know he's andrew was probably bigger but you think you see hogan when he lifts up when he slams the big show at wrestlemania 3 you know every every single fucking sinew is is going into that move cesaro it's like it's like me opening a fucking packet of crisps or something he's just like eh. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna in this in this case give the props to the big show um because I think the Hogan effort that he has to go through is because Andre struggled to get himself up if you see what I mean whereas Big Show jumps well for well for Cesaro I think and then obviously holding him in place is very impressive but I just I think getting him up there in the first place a lot of that is big is on the Big Show and I give him some credit for that I mean it goes back to conversely what we've always said Big Show is obviously a more athletic person at his peak of popularity than Andre was. But presentation-wise, Andre's mm-hmm. just there. I was say, can you imagine Andre fucking jumping out in a fucking battle royal like this? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Andre would have won it. Andre would have won the Rumble, yeah. and, and otherwise he wouldn't have been in it. <laughs> and then he, would, and then, he, then he would have eaten his own statue, because we find out that it was then made out of actual Toblerones. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Santino's in this. Five years after winning the battle royal at WrestleMania 25, mm-hmm. not not able to repeat that. Now hang on, that guess, was his sister, mate. That was his sister who won that. Not, that not was it. Sister. Oh, yeah. yeah, my mistake. Fandango's in this. Completely forgot about that. The phase of Fandango when people were Fandangoing around. Lovely old job. Sheamus beats the fucking shit into Fandango. So Fandango's having a little dance on the side. Lovely old job. And then. Whatever is the bloody four bell ends of the whatever the move that Seamus he pulls him back and he beats the shit into him. I wonder if this was a symbolic thing because the previous year, of course, they had Jericho put Fandango over because um, it was Vince McMahon's flavour of the month. He was quite excited by the fact that Dancing with the Stars was a major US TV hit and he wanted to kind of bring in the Fandango as a kind of cash in on that. And then obviously Vince had lost interest like he'd done on probably on about half the people in this match i mean bloody brodus clay was another one of those where he just completely lost interest Big E was another one when he first came in he was massive on and then lost interest with uh within about a few months and i this one felt symbolic like yeah we know we gave you this ridiculously over the top debut victory for fandango over chris jericho this is just to show you 
that's over. This, that's yeah. we're, we're over that now. Thank you very much. I, I know on Kofi, obviously you mentioned this thing. I noticed he's got skills written S-K-I-L-L-Z on his tights. Why? <laughs> Why have you got skills written on your tights, lad? And finally, so I echo Thomas Thorne. Too much going on in a battle royal for me. Until basically two thirds of the people have gone. I was very confused. I didn't really know what was going on. I know on Cesaro. So obviously he does the swing and we've alluded to this previously. I think the problem is, is that the boys keep swinging for him. So they need to like, they need to stop. They just, I think Tom said this. It's cut that move. Don't do that move. If I was one of the boys, I'd be like, nah, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it because it looks shit. And it's really hokey as well. Uh, I like the handshake at the end, though. I enjoy the handshake. It felt very uh, Andre and Bossman from <laughs> WrestleMania 7. The moment that old man's made far more of than anybody else ever has in the history I, of the world. Just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that moment really that, that moment touched me. Yeah, <laughs> this moment didn't touch me, but I did touch myself after it. <laughs> so lovely. I, it was funny, wasn't it? Because I can remember at the time thinking that's really cool that Cesaro's won there. So I wonder if they're going to get a bit of pleasure the next night on Raw. I think they teamed him up with the Paul Heyman. Then nothing. They were like, oh, he's foreign. I mean, yeah. Vince Man effectively said that, explicitly said that on uh, the Steve Austin podcast uh type show that they had on the network which is now the broken skull sessions but it was originally just the podcast and he effectively said yeah the reason he's not over is because he, he's, he's from switzerland effectively that was what he said there's an amazing bit in that podcast where Vincent man like really badly mixes metaphors and he's like and he's like he's still got Ver- i think he's still got like, greg gagne or Vern Gra- gagne one of the gagnes and he goes um he says something like he's not the brightest bulb on the tree he's at the he's at the sharpest knife in the uh in the biscuit tin it's really really funny i'll Um, tell you what you imagine sneaking a knife into a biscuit tin that's um, a nasty surprise blood all over your custard creams well that's no good the the thing on the cesaro swing just to revisit that one more time i think it's fine whilst you're building him up to give him something that people think you know quite enjoy and is over but I think if you were going to turn him into a serious act that was going to trouble the top of the card, that's when you go, we're not going to use this. We might bring it out occasionally from major matches as a kind of callback to what he's done in his past. But we won't we won't use this on a regular basis because it's just it doesn't quite live up to the sense that this is a serious act who could challenge for the championship, I think. Unless he swung them into something. <laughs> yes. Like swung them off the top of the cell. but he does do that he does use the swing to against the ring uh, the against the crowd barriers and that looks quite cool no i went off off the fucking cell mate (laughs) (laughs) done good i'm sure wrestlemania 38 who knows okay so then we get the build-up video for john cena and bray wyatt's match before which we are told that Legacy by Eminem is one of the official songs of WrestleMania. There are a number of official songs of WrestleMania on this show. Um, so we have the build-up match for John Cena and Bray Wyatt, which centers around the idea that uh, kind of John Cena is got this inner demon that he is unwilling to show the fans. Any thoughts on the, the video package? I thought it was very good. The one problem I have with it, which effectively means that it's not very good, is that it's patently obvious what the outcome of the match is going to be because it's painted in such a way that there's only one outcome because like the whole thing is built around Eminem's song which was nice for him to write it so that WWE could use it and uh 
Yeah, like it's all about Cena's legacy and Bray Wyatt's trying to end his legacy. One, I don't really know what that means because you can't end a legacy. A legacy is a thing. It's not like a race. You can't stop it. Bollocks. Bollocks anyway. But um, (laughs) yeah, it it just doesn't. It's well put together, but it's it's bollocks, basically. Uh, Tom, anything else (laughs) in terms of other than bollocks? No. The thing that struck me, and we'll get into this, I guess, when we get to a little bit of match, but it's how fucking cool the Wyatt family were and how how cool they looked, the, the presentation, the creepy barns and, you know, like, deliverance kind of, like, creepy. Oh, so good. And the bollock just not only dropped, but booted off the roof of a building with the Wyatt family because, <laughs> oh, it's just, they just looked so cool and so different. And, yeah, it's just a shame that anything came of it. And we can talk about this more when we come into the match, but maybe pining for a time that never actually happened mm. with the Wyatts. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So the match itself goes 22 and a half minutes. John Cena wins by powering out of the sister Abigail and performing the attitude adjustment for the pin. Oh, man, I'm going to come to you, first of all. Oh, right. So first of all, a little note on the entrances. I enjoyed the band playing Bray Wyatt's music. I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the little dance thing that the person did. So then you get John Cena comes down, always tentative. He's a bit worried. Understandable. They're after his legacy. He's there in his blue jean shorts. Lovely old job. His nice little T-shirt. He looks a bit scared. And then he turns back to the like entranceway and he nods. I don't know who he nods to. And it's troubled. It's troubled me. So who's he nodding to? My problems with this match start with this whole thing, the whole Cena entrance. So you've got the Wyatt family looking incredibly sinister in the corner, it must say. Tom said deliverance. That's perfect. Absolutely perfect analogy for what they are. Cena effectively no-sells them. He acknowledges that they're there and then he does his whole shtick. And it's like, wait, these guys are after your legacy, mate. They're after your bloody legacy. You can't, like, yeah, nah, just like, it. it's lost. And then they start the match. Bray Wyatt does his little sacrifice bit. Because he's trying to make John Cena PG-13, I think, or R-rated or whatever he wants him to do. He does a sacrifice bit. Cena, he, he ain't full of this. Two side headlocks. And it's like, oh, okay, so this is where we're going, is it? So you're going to make Cena wrestle and not be the aggressor? And I realised that this whole match is built on nothing. And they're in an impossible position to do anything that matters because like Wyatt wants to bring out the monster and he keeps saying oh I want to bring out the monster it's the wrong person to do it with because the crowd do not give a shit about Cena like at this point they're pretty tired of him they also want to see Wyatt beat him up so you've got this guy who wants to bring out the monster who wants to get beaten up by Cena so isn't beating up John Cena John Cena does a clothesline and then has a couple of minutes where he looks like he feels quite bad about himself it's like you've clotheslined someone like that's all you've done that's all you've done very strange the referee puts an absolute shift in i must say i can't remember who the referee was some guy with a face but he is incredible because he's really trying to sell what cena is kind of trying not to do so he's kind of trying to sell like oh you can't do that you'll get dq'd so it's a reason like for cena not to I enjoy the crossbody to the outside onto the uh, onto Harper and Rowan by Cena. I quite enjoyed that. Cena then doesn't hit Bray Wyatt with the steps. 
Harper goes through the timekeeper era for some reason. I don't really understand why. Like, it doesn't add anything. There was the worst STF in John Cena's long history of bad STFs at one point. It's just shit. I was going to say, am I getting the impression that you didn't like this match? <laughs> so it, it, it's slow paced and it never changes. It's a tough barometer because the first match is so good. Triple H and Brian, where they take you up and down. This is one paced. It's not good. Also, like, I can remember at the time reading a few things where Wyatt was kind of compared to The Undertaker when he first came in. So he, it makes and it also makes sense that he's slow and methodical in what he does. But the problem is, is it's not believable because Wyatt, to be honest, isn't particularly good. I don't think he's effectively a cool entrance and a couple of catchphrases. And that's kind of it. I think this is the benefit of hindsight as well, because you know what comes from this. They're still kind of trying to build the wall that they knocked down, the wire wall that they knocked down even now. We're trying to get them over. It's just not good. Sorry, lads. They weren't their bloody socks off, but... Cena isn't very good at this stage in this type of match. I get the feeling that if this had happened a few years later when he'd done a bit more acting, I think it would have been a much more effective thing because he's still very much in his cartoon acting way. And also the finish. It's one AA and it's done. And it's like, oh, is that it? There's numerous things that I, I agree with in what you said. The, the first thing is the no-selling of the Wyatts as he comes down to the ring. That is why John Cena will never, in my opinion, be considered a great because he because of those sorts of things. He doesn't ever change. Everything he does is the same. It's the same way that he every he'll be in a match. He's just had the shit kicked out of him, and then he'll just hop up and then hit some of the attitude adjustment and just pin them straight away. It, there's no believability in Cena's matches. And don't get me wrong, I've seen a couple, quite a few John Cena matches that I've really enjoyed, but there's still that always that element of just never believing it. He looks like a giant fucking toddler. You're right about his inability to act and sell the the fear of the of the whites of that match. And you're right about the ending. The thing that really annoyed me about this match is the fact that the way it was booked was so bad because you could have gone like one of two ways. You could have gone, he hits him with the chair to beat him, and then you've got an infinitely more interesting John Cena story arc. Or he doesn't do it, and then he loses. And again, you've got a much more interesting... You go like, well, then you've, then you've got two potential ways that you can go somewhere at least a little bit more interesting with John Cena. But they decide to do neither, and it makes the entire thing completely completely invalid, completely cuts the legs out of the, of the momentum of the Wyatt family, because up until this point, they were, they'd lost, and you know there were some matches that they did do, but they were still a reasonably interesting act that you could take seriously. But you're like, oh no, John Cena's just single-handedly beaten three of them, and there's been no consequence out of the match at all, and it's all pointless. And that's the worst thing about it all. One thing I will touch about the entrance, the uh, obviously the the, the dancey bit at the beginning is obviously linking into the kind of voodoo tie of Louisiana, and I get the idea that's the kind of area that they're they're projected to be from the Whites. Yeah, it's just after the after the Whites came down to the ring. The rest of it was shit. So I, I, um, I think, first of all, Tom, what you said is where I was thinking here is that there are not just two ways, but there are three ways to put this. So you've mentioned two of them. And I think you're absolutely bang on. Either Cena wins having given in to his demons and therefore it sets up an obvious story arc for this to continue. Or he loses because he doesn't give in to his demons or he loses because he gives into his demons and gets disqualified. So there are three ways in which you could have booked this match better um, and had a more satisfying conclusion, especially as the plan for WWE was to continue the feud for the next two, three months anyway. So having John Cena win in 
win the match cleanly in their first match of three makes no sense at all. Like it just it, you needed something else here. The only thing I can think that they didn't do that is because what they wanted to do with Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker, which we'll get to in, in, later on. So I think that might be the only reason they didn't do that. But I still think you can tell the story of um, I still don't think it's going to hurt too much if you say he doesn't give in and loses or loses because he gets disqualified it doesn't feel like he's he's really down it's just this kind of thing that Bray Wyatt can go back to and say you gave in to your demons see I told you it was in you later on I think the other thing is is that if you are comparing Bray Wyatt to The Undertaker on the night that inevitably you are going to have The Undertaker's streak end why not give your chance to build another streak with Bray Wyatt by having him win this match like I know you probably would not see that through but You've now not got the chance to do that because you've lost. He's lost in his first match at WrestleMania. It's worth saying that he only had debuted the previous summer with the Wyatt family on the main roster. And by this point, had been pretty well protected. They had him beat Daniel Bryan clean at the Royal Rumble this year. Um, Earlier in the year, they'd had the amazing six-man tag match with the Shield in the February pay-per-view of this year. Um, So they'd been really well protected throughout. So it wasn't like they were already kind of getting to the end of the value that they could get from this well-built act he was still prime value in terms of wwe and the way they built him so i agree i think the end result is really bad the match itself i don't think is bad i think it's quite good i think they do they work hard and they they do some good spots as you said cena jumps off the off the top onto the two down below uh there's a tornado ddt at one point that cena does which is quite good gut buster by wyatt which i think is really good gets in a uh, gets a close two count there are some weaknesses specifically related to the way john cena works so i think what you both said is absolutely right because he doesn't look realistic and because his his work doesn't look realistic you're in this position where he is being forced because of the story to try and straight wrestle like he does a drop kick at one point which isn't particularly good um he's got headlocks aplenty there's you know does various moves that he no, doesn't look that good doing and so you're kind of in the normal course of things when you're not trying to tell this story you'd have cena just kicking and punching and then you'd probably get away with it but because you're trying to tell this story cena has to do more wrestling than he wants than he's comfortable doing that he's capable of doing and as a consequence you you really see the things that his critics don't like about him, which is that he, he's not good when executing moves. He, he applies submission holes poorly. His punches aren't that great. He's just he just in general, he's not got the execution side of his his um, act down so well. It was interesting what you said, literally the last point, because I did think about this when I was watching the match. The, we've said before, and I agree with you largely, that you get to one of the biggest things about getting to the top of the card in WWE is your ability to throw convincing punches. And John Cena cannot do that in any way, shape or form. I wonder why he's he is very much the exception to the rule. Because his punch, I've never seen my nan throw a punch and hopefully I never will. But I can imagine she probably throws a more convincing right hook than John Cena does. If only because the way John Cena punches means you have to expend more effort because you go over the top of your shoulder as opposed to just straight, you know, And, and, also, and also, let's not forget, my nan was a uh, golden gloves three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that does need to be taken into account as well. Um, so, yeah, I just I thought that if you took the match and forgot the result for a moment, I think the match is actually good. I think the result really lets it down because this is an act that the Wyatt family that I think at the time, especially if you keep in place Harper and Rowan as his side, um, his side kind of guys, it is a great act and works really well. And I would have liked to see him pick up more followers, if I'm honest. I felt like there was an opportunity. 
they did if they had done this story better and delivered him out of it better they could have then had him in a position where he legitimately started to build a following of of five six seven people i think there's always that fear of building really big stables because of the the cautionary tale that the nwo has become in uh, over time but in this case i think the more followers the better because you're saying effectively these and you don't need to use anyone important in those roles no you know? no that that's thing you could take a, like a mid card like a, yeah. a nobody and instantly make them a bit more interesting exactly i mean the, the, for me that this period was crying out for bo dallas his, his actual brother to join the wyatt family because he was doing nothing he was like a nobody nothing and he still is quite frankly on wwe's roster put him in there just have him as another person <laughs> Oh, they could have had IRS as like the, like the god, you know what I mean? Like like the like the, the you know the, the patriarch member of the White family, and that would have been amazing. Not as IRS, um, or they maybe they could have done it with IRS because well, Mike Rotunda. Yeah, yeah, but Mike Rotunda. Oh, that would be phenomenal, and they could make him. I mean, I don't know if he can grow much of a beard. I bet he can, based on his son's kind of follicle talents. I reckon he could grow a bit. That would be, ah, oh, that would be amazing. And he's like this old grizzly guy. He's like, pay your taxes in his in his, <laughs> his little rocking chair. Even if it wasn't him, if if they had an older person join the fray as just a manager, almost a manager type figure that could have joined them again, like just and a woman who could have joined them and, you know, just really made them a really interesting cult like act. I think it could have worked perfectly, but they just were never willing to go there. And this was part of the reason they couldn't do it anyway, because they kind of ruined it by this point. And uh, it was a real shame because he, he felt like money. I don't like the current incarnation of the fiend Bray Wyatt thing. I think it's, I, it seems to be getting over um seven years removed from this event but to me it's all a bit it's all a bit silly to me and it's just not for me my overriding thought when i was watching this was where does it go this is my major problem with the fact that they want to like end john cena's legacy is that that's not that's not a reason to have a fight like it doesn't none of it rings true and like you boys have said about the end as well the amount of different ways that they could have gone I just feel like none of it rings true and it really comes across and obviously with the benefit of hindsight as well it just really comes across that they just kind of they didn't know what the Wyatt family was and I think to be honest what like you've just said about the fiend stuff I think that still comes across I still don't think they know what Bray Wyatt is and I think that's why it doesn't really work. Well, also, I just want to ask this question. I don't know. I maybe this would be my own ignorance showing a bit now. But have they ever explained what Sister Abigail is about? Like why there's a Sister Abigail? Have they ever no. explained what the buzzards are? Like follow the buzzards? Like there's all yeah. these things like quite interesting things that they could at some point investigate and 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 try to bring more of a view to what Bray Wyatt is and what he's about and what his history has been. But because it doesn't feel like they ever did do that and they're not going to do it now because he is the fiend it's a different it's a different gimmick that it, it, again is a, it's a missed opportunity and i don't mind them not knowing exactly where they want to go with it or who the character is just as long as that if they're setting up all these lovely little breadcrumbs for you as an audience like oh what is that sister abigail stuff mm. about who, you know what is what's the follow the buzzards all about you know what what does all this stuff mean then at some point cash in on it use it because you've got it it's there it's waiting to be used waiting to be seized upon as valuable 
little driplets of a story that you could then make into something fully formed in the same way as they had done with the undertaker of time and even in some respect retconned in for example kane his brother which never was originally part of the thing but it didn't it didn't require him to move away from the gimmick he'd been doing previously it just required the, the gimmick to be expanded and made more interesting i also i don't know why i think i may have been a bit bored during the match but i went down a bit of a rabbit hole surrounding john cena's album so I've never listened to it, obviously. Um, but I knew it was obviously you. Ca- the, the time is now is is you know obviously on there. Do you know? Um, I don't believe that you've never listened to it. No, I t- no, and I tell you, I tell you why. So I, I was looking at it, and I, I look at it on Wikipedia, and I saw that it contains a couple of features which are which I was quite surprised by. And they, these are all not household names, but it's featuring um, Freddie Fox, aka Bumpy Knuckles, who's quite a big like staple of underground New York hip hop scene. Big L, the legendary now deceased rapper from from harlem new york who was originally going to be signed to jay-z's record label at the same time that jay-z was coming up so could have potentially been a very big deal and another a rapper from boston called esoteric who's not it's not two million you know miles away that he would do it but then i realized that the time is now is produced by a guy called jake one now jake one again it's not a household name in terms of in terms of producers but just to give it a bit of context some of the people that jake one has worked with dr dre Jay-Z, Rick Ross, and a slew of other very famous rappers, and John Cena. God, <laughs> Cena. It was really odd. It just completely caught me off guard. I was like, hello, what's going on here? How's this happened? Mm. <laughs> so the other rappers you've said, yes. are they are they still big deals? None of them are properly big deals. Big so L would have been. But do you dead. think that Cena didn't put them over? And that's <laughs> yeah, why they struggled. Because they were, after, they were after his bloody legacy. <laughs> the thing is that I can't I can't I don't think it would have I don't think they would have got a massive shine from working with John Cena that <laughs> yeah that's, that's true also sorry again we always say this but every time it always catches me because it seems to be the lyric in you, the time is now that really does that really stands out is when he says I'm so hot you'll never catch me in the next man's sweater <laughs> <laughs> stupid lyric I just love the thought of him being cold as well and just turned around just going Sorry, mate, I'm going to have to have that sweater now. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, hang on, I'm cold as well now, fuck it. And then they turn around and be like, you can have this, but I want your legacy. <laughs> Never has anyone been so obsessed with the legacy angle of this match. <laughs> Actually, I'm interested to know this. To you, to you boys, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything, but I didn't look into it in any way. I wasn't like, it, well, I wasn't concerned by it. I just framing of the match. Well, I get that, but I think it's just look, Bray Wyatt's this evil cult-like guy, and he doesn't like the fact that people like John Cena. Now, the problem with the premise is that no one did like John Cena in this crowd, at least, um, and so you've got a real problem there because it doesn't quite work. But I didn't really mind. I didn't really didn't really bother me. I do have a quick point. I know you um, talked about cashing in on like the little catchphrases that he had on Bray Wyatt. Do you think that there's a missed opportunity in that they could have had some foam buzzards? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Foam lanterns, surely. Foam lanterns would have been the thing. Yeah, for, uh... it's such a waste. It's but a it's waste. also not a waste because he's a bit shit. So I'm really torn between. I'm torn like John Cena was after that clothesline. The, the, thing, the thing is, though, like regardless as to whether or not the in-ring ability of Bray Wyatt may may or may not be a little bit shit. That 
it's about how it's presented and they've constantly fallen every hurdle when it comes to trying to make him interesting well the thing is this is the issue isn't it is that the reason that that's right and wrong at the same time is they didn't fail when they introduced him when they introduced him and for the next seven months up to this point he's been presented phenomenally to the point where he's massively over genuinely creepy there's all these interesting angles that you think that they could go and look at and investigate and really get into this character and then after this point and at this point they completely drop the ball so for me it's like it's not just that they've put in a character or a gimmick of somebody that they haven't presented well from the beginning and then they've just kind of forgotten about them and and the guy's got loads of potential actually no we've seen that the gimmick's over and then you've just completely dumped on it. That's the problem. A big old Wyatt family dump by Sister Abigail. So after the match, the camera goes to Michael Cole, JBL and Jerry Lawler at ringside. And thankfully, for the first time, I think, ever on screen, one of them actually drinks some of the Mountain Dew that sat in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Lawler is enjoying the Mountain Dew when they throw to him and he's kind of like <laughs> quickly swallow. And I was just like, thank God somebody's drank some of this Mountain Dew that you seem to love so much that just sits there completely untouched for four hours whilst you're commentating. It can't be that nice. Can you imagine how warm it was? Yeah. Oh, so fucking, I mean, it's disgusting anyway. Mountain Dew is the work of the devil. It rots your teeth. Some are rotten. I, I watched a documentary on sugar a while ago. And this dude who's doing the documentary goes to some fucking place in America. Great story. And uh, it's basically where they drink the most Mountain Dew in America. And there's this kid who's like, He's having to have all his teeth replaced because they've all rotted away. Like dirty little, like wooden, rotten wooden stuff. His teeth are bloody horrible. This is tough because Tiggy's quite a fan of Mountain Dew, aren't you? Are you? Yeah, I'd have no doubt that I wouldn't like it quite as much as I did. But when it was briefly available, like widespread in the UK, when we were about 12, 13, 14, something like that, used to love it. Absolutely used to love it. But it wasn't available for very long in this country as a widespread thing. I mean, you can still get it in kind of those sort of expensive sweet shops and things like that, where they've imported loads of stuff from America. But yeah, it, when you could get it regularly, I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I remember thinking one time we were walking home from school. It's a very vivid memory of mine. <laughs> uh, and when we were walking from school and you walk, we were walking down Colcott Road. So Tinky's childhood home was just off of Colcott Road. Mine was down at the end on the right. And Tinky said to me one time, he poured a little bit of Mountain Dew out and I went, sometimes my piss looks a bit like that colour. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember saying to you, you should probably drink some more water, mate. And this would have been in the 90s when people didn't drink water. So um, <laughs> wasn't wasn't that also the, the same the same kind of occasion when you were so desperate for a shit? That you you were like, oh, I'm touching cloth and had to run home because you were so desperate for a shit. Yeah, it happened a few times. Like no one no one was taking a shit in Briz school. You know what I mean? It was happening. <laughs> and I remember it's that thing where you're like, you like it's I don't know, maybe about it's kind of been cooking all day. You finish school, you're about you get to the end of Hungerford Road, which was probably about a third of the way home, I reckon, from from Briz school to, to where Tiki and I live, grew up. And uh, I reckon start back then and then the next it'd be like a frantic walk home you'd end up having to like do the power walk slash run to get home you get there you drop your keys you can't get it in the door properly you know it's all oh, <laughs> terrible you fucking finally run upstairs someone's in the toilet ah, i can't the fucking toilet i can't i need a shit <laughs> oh, awful time there was no way you were calling anyone in your family a cunt when you were 13 just no, no. way 
no. and no one would have been there actually so it wouldn't have been a problem but i tell you what, i can remember that many times you get, get, i'm sweating just talking about it so <laughs> the worst time is when you you decided you couldn't make it to your house even though it was two or three minutes away from mine and so and we'd reach mine first so you went into mine to take the dump and I, I don't know if this is still the case, Tom, but when you were a kid, you used to take a long time in the toilet. Like you used to be in there for a good half an hour. Like no matter what yeah, yeah. what what situation, it used to be in there forever. It's why you kept so many books in the toilet, just because you were there for so long. Yeah. And and you left this massive shit in the bottom yeah. of the <laughs> and legitimately people went in there afterwards and had a shit. And they would flush the thing. <laughs> Everything would go except for your shit. Would just yeah. stay. It was like this fucking bit of concrete that weren't moving for anybody. <laughs> exactly. Fucking lad, mate. <laughs> to be fair, they don't call him Cement Dump Smith for nothing. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Amazing. Um, next up, we had the Hall of Pheromones. Hall of Pheromones. <laughs> <laughs> The Hall of Pheromones. Just loads of sexy women. <laughs> the Hall of Fame ceremony highlights. Uh, this year, the inductees were Jake Roberts, Lita, Paul Bearer, Mr. T, Carlos Colon, Razor Ramon, Ultimate Warrior. And then they are presented oh. to the WrestleMania crowd. Any thoughts on this stuff? Oh, pheromone spray. <laughs> oh yeah i remember mr t's fucking thing being bloody awful it went on for like three hours and he would shut up about his mum i mean i know he loves his mum and he did that notorious treat your mother right video but fucking hell mr t why don't you neck him he can't wind it in because he's got all that gold on there i suppose yeah do you know what quite a stacked hall of fame mm. that year. do you know what i mean like genuinely like lita um we got Razor Ramon, Jake Roberts. Like, I would have thought, like, with, with his connection stuff, like, you could you could imagine like Scott Hall being headliner. Certainly now, you can imagine that being the case. Whether or not they trust him to talk coherently enough to be a headliner is a different thing, perhaps. Um, but yeah, they just showed some highlights, and I'm glad I didn't really watch the whole thing. I think I did, um, but I can't remember much about it except for, as you rightly pointed out, Mr. T's almost uncomfortable level of praise for his mother which was very strange it was a good 15 minutes and a, a, i think 10 of it was taken up with him talking about how much he loved his mum tinky are you implying that mr t fucked his mum <laughs> no um but you are explicitly saying it so i will leave it yeah why not hey eh? fuck <laughs> it i'll tell you what as well so mr t i realize what the t stands for during this bit it's tiny hands <laughs> very small hands I know on the Hall of Fame, I know why you watched this, Tinky. It's because you were around in a house that me and Tom lived together in, and everyone came round, and it was on. It was okay. just kind of on in the background, because I can remember watching it. Um, this is, I know I uh, I took a big old dump on the Ultimate Warrior earlier, and obviously a couple of days after this, he passes away. Mm. He looks awful when he comes out. He looks, unfortunately, and this is obviously what killed him but he looks like a heart attack waiting to happen and it's really it's quite sad it's quite sad to see because you just look look at him and you're like oh you look really really unhealthy and really unwell and then the next night on rule he looks horrific and i can remember exchanging a message with a guy that i haven't spoken to for years and we were just talking back and forth about wrestling and he said have you seen ultimate warrior on rule he looks like he's gonna keel over and die and then the next morning he did and it's quite um i don't know it's quite because i can remember talking to people about this in the time is that he'd obviously said a lot of shit about the company and he'd not been particularly nice about 
a lot of people who work for the company and vice versa as well. It kind of felt like he needed closure on this. And then once he had closure, he passed away. So really a very sad story as much as i don't i don't like him i don't like what he said about people and i don't like the way that he behaved in interviews that i've seen in stories that i've read about it but it's very sad very sad yeah i mean uh, i think the other thing to say about warrior is not just necessarily what he said about other people in the business and what the way he behaved in the business but also he was a pretty rancid individual when it came mm-hmm. to his political beliefs as well um mm-hmm. and was quite the homophobe it has to be said we are not just because he's passed away since we're we're not gonna um let him off for those things that, that that's not how it works ultimately but yeah it, it felt i don't know how to word this without it sounding more sinister than i mean it but it doesn't feel like a coincidence is what you're saying i think old man is that ultimately yeah. it's kind of like he had to deliver this message to people and mm. and and somehow him doing that was like what he was living for like again that sounds ridiculous because i'm sure it wasn't there's many things he was living for in, including his family but there's just it just doesn't feel like a complete coincidence it feels like there's some kind of almost karmic which sounds ridiculous and I, i'm not really into that sort of stuff myself but almost karmic kind of sense that i need to do this first and then yeah then everything's okay. Do you think he valued his induction to the Hall of Fame higher than his most embarrassing wrestler award from 1998 <laughs> in the Wrestling Observer? I imagine they're on a par with one another, to be honest. They, they, I'll tell you what, fucking hell, mate. The, uh, old, what's his name? The, the prick he writes, the Wrestling Dave Observer. Uh, most embarrassing wrestler, most overrated, reader's least favourite, worst feud of the year, three times. Lovely. Worst on interviews, worst worked match of the year, t- twice. One, I'd say, uh, spanning decades, one in uh, 1989 and one in 1998. And uh, okay. worst wrestler, two years. Well, obviously, all the stuff in 98 is a consequence of his program with Hogan in WCW. So, and that's not a surprise. The match was terrible. The, the feud was literally toxic to um, WCW's ratings and pay per view buys at the time. Uh, it was incredibly expensive for WCW. It was about the most disastrous hire uh, any wrestling company has ever made, I'd argue. Um, it's right up there. But also the trap, the infamous trapdoor in the ring is what caused Davey Boy Smith to uh, to do his backing, which led to one of his many crippling addictions, which eventually killed him. Yeah, very, very true. Um, so, yeah, not, not at all a good news story. And so well deserving i i would suggest of all a lot of those a lot of those awards i think also there was a lot of people as you said oh man that omar may have said things about them but lots of people said things about the warrior as well in terms of the way they were disrespect didn't like the, the lack of respect he showed for the business they didn't like some of the things he did bobby heenan's on record also of saying of course that um he nearly crippled he was nearly crippled by the Ultimate Warrior because he didn't protect him when they were doing some of the spots that put, took place as part of the feud with Rick Rude. Um, Ted DiBiase famously was not a fan of his whatsoever, really disliked him. Um, yeah, just just lots of people who probably had to kind of kind of keep their mouth shut at this period when the Warrior was being kind of almost even eulogized before he died. And then afterwards, the, the kind of the job that WWE did to completely clean up the supposed image of the warrior and call an award which is about inspirational people after him which it felt even kind of more crazy um so there was obviously i i don't want to spend too much time dwelling on the wire but i've kind of ended up on this wikipedia page 
And um, obviously, though, we've heard the rumours about the, the death rumours uh, before his return at WrestleMania 8. But <laughs> according to the Wikipedia page, it says, um, Why return to the WWF at WrestleMania 8 after nearly eight months on hiatus since SummerSlam 1991? Due to the drastic change in his appearance, then in brackets, shorter blonde hair and a smaller physique, rumours began circulating that a new wrestler was playing the role. Some said that Warrior died from liver failure due to years of steroid abuse or that his signature arm tassels cut off his blood circulation. <laughs> those those <laughs> conspiracy theories almost as crazy as those that said Paul McCartney died in a car accident in 1965. Yeah. That's why um, he's not wearing shoes on the Abbey Road album cover, you fucking fool. Yeah, I know. Go on, terrible. get with the programme. Yeah, apologies. There's one other thing, interesting thing about the uh, Hall of Fame induction I wanted to know, which was Carlos Colon's induction, um, which was mainly due to the fact that um, Colon had sold WWE the rights to all of his Puerto Rico video library um, just before this. And that was the <laughs> that was main reason he was amazing. put into the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was, in fairness, probably in wrestling terms, a Hall of Fame worthy candidate, but not in WWE terms um, until he kind of sold them the wrestling library. Do you think he's the only person involved in wrestling that's been named after a form of making yourself smell better? Well, maybe. Maybe he was wearing some of that pheromone spray. That's <laughs> <laughs> why he's in the Hall of Pheromones. Absolutely. Yes. So backstage, we see Daniel Bryan being tended to by an official, uh, by a physician, I should say. Um, and then we get the hype video for The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, which is mainly narrated by Paul Heyman. Oh, man. Any thoughts on the video? So... The video is a very interesting one because it's very well put together, obviously framed around Paul Heyman. And I realised there's no Undertaker at all. No Lesnar, but I can kind of understand that because he's got a manager to do his chatting. And I was like, there's no Undertaker at all. I remember the build to this being pretty rotten, to be honest. At the time, I used to keep reasonably in touch with Raw in particular and SmackDown for the last month before. So I kind of, I just remember it just kind of being a bit wishy-washy. And the promo video feels a bit wishy-washy. It's just kind of a bit like Brock Lesnar wants to break the streak. That's it. And it's kind of built on there being the one in 2101. It was not, I mean, not the first time, but it was around this time when they started to make it like a title in itself the streak so they had cm punk talk a lot about that the year before um and in this moment yeah they've got brock lesnar it's almost like paul Heyman saying this is the one thing brock lesnar has not done he's done everything else that wwe he can do in this company this is the one title not that it is a title but a title that he has not managed to do which kind of that was the point wasn't it yeah and that, that I, I, to be honest i don't mind that in yeah, a, in a, as a build to it, it give, at least it gives them a reason it's, it's more tangible yeah. than it's a generic term like legacy that you seem to yeah. have a real distinct. Don't, don't get me back on legacy. They were a oh. great trio were legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's who uh, Bray Wyatt was trying to destroy was uh, was <laughs> legacy. Oh, Not John Cena. Yeah, so why weren't I invited? I'm a second generation superstar. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what was going on. So in a, just a moment, we are going to get into The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar, which obviously has a number of big talking points in and of itself. But we're just going to take a quick break before then, and we're back in just a second. Gene Okerlund here, and like the WWE Universe, I am enjoying this extravaganza. By the way, still to come, WWE World Heavyweight Championship match, and please join me, the host of WrestleMania 30, come on in, Hulk Hogan. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene, WrestleMania 30 is rocking the Superdome, brother. What are you two doing here? Hey. Roddy Piper. Is that you, Paul, or not? No, it's Rudolph. Are you kidding me? I just stop. Just stop. 
I came here to give you a compliment. As hard as it is, you're doing a great job hosting WrestleMania, okay? This is good, all right? And I know talking's not your strong suit, but you're doing okay. But I gotta tell you, I heard you yelping, you know, over again about you and Mr. T, how you beat us at WrestleMania. And it, it doesn't bother me, because you didn't beat me, but it really makes Oscar grouchy. Kicks him right off, you know? Hogan, you know, for the last 30 years, all I hear every day of the week, at least once, they bring up the fact that I lost the match in the first WrestleMania ever. How do you think that makes me feel? Yeah. Feel horrible. I feel yeah. terrible about it. Yeah. You know what? But you know something? Yeah. If I would have had a partner that would have watched my back, Maybe we wouldn't have lost it. Well, you got one now. I'll watch your bat now. Hey, big guy. Whoa, what ho, 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 wait a minute. New Hall of Famer, Mr. Start trouble with my man, Hulk. You heard me. I pity the fool start trouble with my man, Hulk. Calm down. Calm down. That was 30 years ago. You got to get up, guys. I got to get up. You know It is time to bury the hatchet. Orndorff and Piper, be men about it. They started. Come on, really? Be a man, Piper. Bury the hatchet. Oh, Thanks, Thanks Mr. Wonderful. Thank you. There's the handshake. You see what I mean? Woo. You people oh. out there see what I mean? Oh, come on. Oh, My word. That's right. a right. WrestleMania <laughs> moment. Piper. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> Welcome back. So, as I said last week, we are getting used to the fact that we need to go into three parts for these larger WrestleMania shows. But this is the last leg, I suppose, of our WrestleMania um, season. And we will be moving on swiftly, just like wrestling does next week. Um, for now, though, we've still got plenty of this show to cover, um, starting with The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. This match went 25 minutes. Lesnar hit the F5 for the third time after reversing a tombstone to take the shock victory. Oh, man, let's start with your thoughts and general feelings about the match. Let's, let's go for the start. So The Undertaker's entrance takes at least as long as the entire Shield match from earlier. And to be honest, it feels like it takes almost as long as the Battle Royal. A very odd ring attire. From The Undertaker. It looks like he's about to be in Glenn Campbell's video for Rhinestone Cowboy. Possibly as the titular cowboy. Just, <laughs> just walk, walking down the street. Really odd. He's got a, an incredible time. <laughs> it's Hogan-esque. Considering that he, I, I imagine he spends the majority of his time in a coffin. It's an incredible <laughs> time for the big guy. Uh, uh, he also um, he looks quite old, to be honest. He doesn't look like he's in the best shape. And I think like for anybody who's watched the last week, I think he had a couple of very difficult years in terms of keeping in shape just because his body was quite beaten down. So the match is very uncomfortable. Like when they're actually having a match, it starts off very well, I think. They kind of, it's very old school in the way that they kind of both work over a body part. And it's scrappy as well. It's kind of like, is a man trying to protect the streak, which is a proper legacy? That's a legacy. The streak is a legacy. Not just some wishy-washy bloody turnip thing. Get over it, mate. Get over it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'll never get over the legacy. And uh, yeah, it starts with, And then obviously, at some point, Undertaker gets concussed. 
has just been well documented. And after that, I must say, it's a very uh, difficult watch, to be honest. Let's talk about the concussion, because I think we'll take this as step by step as we possibly can at the moment. Um, I was looking for this. So I, as I agree with you. The first five, six, seven minutes, seem everything seems to go into plan. And they're forging quite a good slow tempo, which you think, and even at one point, is mentioned by the commentators will the pace increase later in the match and jbl says yeah i think they will and you and you are anticipating that because you know that this is the and so i thought first six seven minutes of the match everything's fine everything's going well and it's not obvious where he picks up this concussion it's really not there's one bit where he kind of brock lesnar kind of slams him down on the outside of the ring he catches his leg doesn't he and pushes him back yeah apparently they wreck i did a bit of a deep dive into this and apparently it that's where it seems apparently yeah. that's where it is but it looks so innocuous it does it doesn't look like a big deal it doesn't look like a bad fall it doesn't look like he hits his head or anything which i know is not the only way to get a concussion but you know that's you what you would be looking for i think but there's nothing else having watched it there's nothing else i can see that it could possibly be like this seems to be the bit where it all changes and from then on it's all a bit stranger apparently as well there's a a large chunk of the match cut out at that point. All right. Because according to um, some subreddit that I read, it, it says that um, he's on the floor for quite a while outside the ring. Oh. Um, but it, that didn't happen when I watched it. So it's you're right though. It's 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 hard to see because incidentally, going off on a slightly different tangent. Apparently, on Peacock they are editing old episodes yes. of Raw. Yeah. Um, they're editing so, all kinds of stuff yeah so like for example like the choppy choppy old man your your favorite one of your favorite angles is is being edited out apparently and so there's one of those things where it wouldn't surprise me if they have gone through and retrospectively gone through and tried to tidy up a few things and i obviously can't remember it because we watched it live at the time but apparently there's quite a considerable amount of time in the match where the undertaker is just like led outside the ring just fucked i don't think this will be one of the peacock cuts yeah no but my point is that it's not there's there's precedent of that happening of that oh yeah happening. definitely is precedent of that i mean it does happen it's all over the place there is lots of bits where they've cut out from the wwe network we've spoken about it last week with the kid rock stuff so but yeah the the peacock cuts um yeah they, i would watch as much of the wwe's attitude era as you possibly can right now because you may never see it again because they're not just peacock are editing it but they are editing the base footage effectively that goes out to all market so yeah if it gets cut in america it's going to be cut here too so yeah may want to get as much of that as you possibly can sorry no just like one note before i get into this um lesnar is incredible in this like just initially his selling is i always thought it was a very underrated thing and i don't when he when he comes back and he does his thing and people see a lot of people really like tear him to shreds i think if you're the person that wwe have put in the ring with him he will sell like and he sells and it means something as well and i think it really came across when i was watching this i know you're going to sell for the undertaker come on it's the undertaker in it but get back to after the concussion like watching the undertaker stumble around during his comeback of sorts mm-hmm. is horrible and then um he kicks out of an F- the first f5 lesnar backs off and it's this is where i get quite uncomfortable watching because he's looking at Lesnar and you can just tell from his eye he's just being like so where are we now like 
what's going on, don't we? And then, like, Lesnar effectively walks over to be put into the Hell's Gate, sells that for a bit, he slams him, which mm. made me squirm. They then do it again. They have the Kamora put in, and this is where I properly noticed, like, they kind of focus in on the Undertaker. Like, he hasn't got a clue what's going on. And then I'm kind of like, I'm glad that they're led down. I'm, I'm enjoying this because they're led down. There's no danger. And then, obviously, one of the spots was the Undertaker going up to do old school on the top rope. And, like, taking him take two steps on the top rope is absolutely horrible. But then it goes into the F5. And it's it's kind of like, it's not um it's not as terrifying as it could have been because I didn't have a clue where the Undertaker was going to go. It then just kind of happens like when the Undertaker does the last ride, it's more of a last slide because it there's nothing to it. It was a it's hard watching and it's hard as well listening to the commentary because they obviously JBL in particular I think knows there's something quite bad is going on and that the Undertaker's clearly out of it. And they talk about the Undertaker like he's dying. Like he's like his career is done and he's dying, especially when they obviously get to the finish. Because they're obviously selling the shock, but they're talking about it like he's done, he's finished completely. He's done. Like wrestling's done with the Undertaker. The thing about that is I wonder how much of that is retrospect because you know about the concussion. And I was thinking about mm. that a lot because actually I think let's say and we'll get to the finish and we'll talk about that in just a second. But let's just say you are building to that finish. You know, there's no way to sell that other than it to be a death because it's so big mm. and it's so massive. So I, I don't I, I definitely can see what you're saying. I'm just not sure whether that's because we're watching it in retrospect now, knowing about the concussion or because they are trying to sell the moment that is coming. They, they've all got their uh, Jerry Lawless sad voices on, haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> they have, yeah. And they're all like, they're like I'll tell you what, I think he's, I think he's really hurt, man. I don't, think, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. And, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not a good match. And you, you know, I remember we were watching it at the time. And I, I obviously wasn't aware of the Undertaker's concussion at the time. But I can remember watching it at the time and be like, this is shit. This is really yeah. boring. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, you can put that into context now with the concussion. I do wonder how different the match could have been because obviously we saw the Undertaker have a cracking match with CM Punk the year before at Mania, and I do believe that they could have had that. They could have had that opportunity to have a great match at WrestleMania had it not been for the concussion. And as you said earlier, I think it was you, Tinky, who said about the pace picking up later. I've got no doubt in my mind that it would have. Um, this should have been the Undertaker's last great match, with, and it was unfortunately taken taken away from us from. What looks like a pure freakish accident. And these pure freakish action accidents have got to happen in pro wrestling because you are throwing your body around so much. You could say that, God, the chances of that happen are really low, but not when you do as many bumps as these guys do. That is going to happen. And, and I guess the, the only low odds, I guess, are that it happens on that night, on that given night. But of course, The Undertaker isn't wrestling very often other than uh, bigger no. shows like this. So it's, it's going to happen um, sometimes. The other thing about the fact the match quality is that the two of them do have a very decent match, in my view, anyway, later on this very same year mm. in a Hell in a Cell match. Uh, so I think it is Hell in a Cell, WWE Hell in a Cell in, in October of the same year. It might even be the following year, actually. I think it's the following year they have a, a very good match against one another. So they're clearly capable of it even a year beforehand. Is it, is it a, where they do a... Is that when he gets him in the Hell's Gate and 
Lesnar puts the finger up to him. I couldn't remember if that happened in that match or in this match. There were two matches that happened the following year. One's at SummerSlam. Oh, it must have been SummerSlam, I think. Yeah, and then there's a Hell in a Cell match they have two months later, which is like the end of their feud. And Mm. I think the Hell in a Cell match is actually really decent. Um, But yes, they they were definitely capable of having that match. On uh, Undertaker's condition he's in, I actually thought he looked like he was in really good condition. I, I, I was before the match. I don't know why. I mean, he does look old, but I felt like he looked very similar to the way he looked prior to the CM Punk match, actually, that we're talking about, where he's, he's slender, he's got his weight right down, he feels like he's he's built for cardio as opposed to anything else, which is probably the right thing to do when you're at a, a, a certain age where you're trying to, you know, you've got to go, you've got to perform, and you're going to go for 25 minutes, as this match was in length. It felt like he was the he was going into the match in the shape I'd expect him to go into anyway. Um, are you also not sure about the hair? If I'm being honest, the Mohawk. It's, that's not Undertaker for me. That's more American badass style. I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Um, Paul Heyman, amazing. It, it, yeah. It's not a surprise to say because he is brilliant. But just the way he is selling the importance of the match, he can do. He can sell the importance and how vicious Lesnar needs to be outside of the commentary team who are showing their concern for the Undertaker during the match. Paul Heyman is there, just constantly on him, reminding him what you've got to do why you're doing this the importance of it even if you feel like giving up don't because you've got to do this because and it's he just he's brilliant throughout the entire match he is brilliant isn't he let's be honest just in general he just he just gets it just knows what he's supposed to do he just understands how this stuff is supposed to work one thing i noticed actually on paul Heyman's performance before the match and i've noticed it as well i recently watched fast lane which is the pay-per-view that's before wrestlemania this year of course he watches whoever he's managing he watches them as they walk to the ring in admiration He does it with Lesnar in this match, and he does it with Reigns, I noticed, in Fastlane. He's just got this kind of, he just stands ever so slightly behind them, looking up at them as though he, he's just in complete admiration of, of whoever he's got with him. It's just a great, great touch. Love it. Also, he is in good shape in this pay-per-view as well. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He looks pretty lean coming down in the suit. Definitely. So let's get to the finish then. Um, we know what happens. Uh, Brock Lesnar hits him with a third F5 as a uh, after reversing a tombstone or an Undertaker going for the tombstone and then gets the count. It's quite a quick count. One, two, three. It's not drawn out. There's no dramatic yeah. Earl Hebner histrionics here. This is just no nonsense. I'm going to cover you for three. And he loses. And we get the shocked reaction of all around. Absolutely, incredibly shocked. Going back to our viewing of it on the night, I remember all of us not paying any attention to it because it was kind of really quite dull and not really knowing what was going on anyway in terms of Undertaker's concussion and whatnot. So it's kind of just happening in the background. We kind of keeping an eye on it. We weren't really watching it closely. And then this happens and then it's just complete shock. Tom, let's start with you. Your thoughts on that bit. I'm going to put this out there. Potentially the greatest moment in WWE ever. I cannot, I cannot think of anything else that elicits that shock and awe and surprise it ever that has ever happened. It is unbelievable. The crowd, it are just done because no one's expecting it. Everyone's conf- everyone's like, there must be a fuck up. There must be there must be something wrong. And there's this there's the amazing bit that the pinfall happens. Paul Haven is just straight in the ring on his knees, selling it, being like, oh my god. Lesnar's kind of chuckling to himself and selling the match. And it's just deathly silence for about 30 seconds to a minute 
almost as if Justin Roberts can't believe what he's about to say. Like, he's checking, being like, what the fuck's going on? And there's no commentary. It's just complete silence. And then he's finally says, and here is your winner, Brock Lesnar. And the music starts. And it's just, it's 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 phenomenal. The entire, the way it's presented, it's complete shock. The, the, the reaction of the people in the crate is like disgust, confusion, just never thought it was going to happen. It's it's phenomenal. One of the probably one of the most impactful moments I think I've ever seen in in the wrestling ring. It's amazing. And this is where I come back to saying this is a pay per view based on a WrestleMania based on moments rather than great in ring action. My I remember like never thinking for a second that the Undertaker was going to lose that match. I remember being I don't think I was on my phone, but again certainly having a beer, chatting to someone, and when that happened, just darting forward in my chair, being like, "What the fuck." Has happened there, and it's just it, it's incredible. I'm going to get this wrong now, but I seem to remember that in the days after the show, somebody showing the odds of like like Paddy Power or someone had given for Undertaker to lose. And oh man, you, you was it you who gave us those odds? Funny enough, me and uh, me and Tom were having a talk outside of the podcast, and it was last week, and uh, it was uh, 250 to one for Brock Lesnar to win. In a two-horse race, yeah. in a in a in a worked in a worked match, that yeah. is insane. That shows you how little this was expected as a result, um, in terms of just generally, um, yeah, absolute complete shock. Oh man, knowing it was coming, it's still a surprise. And the crowd, it, I know there's a lot made of the gentleman in the front row. There were lot, there have been lots of memes and that based around but it's everyone there's a woman crying yeah she's crying and she's not crying like the lady at wrestlemania 7 is crying <laughs> like she's crying because she's sad it's the only thing that i can liken it to is if they just announced over the tannoy that oh yeah by the way we're gonna blow up the building in 40 seconds <laughs> and you're I, and you're all gonna die yeah it's just it's, just a great, it's just a great moment, isn't it? I wonder how many people were in on this because it's sold by the commentators so well. But then, like you said, like they're kind of building to it in their match commentary, but they sell it wonderfully. Even Justin Roberts plays it well. There's a few things in terms of the execution here, which, first of all, imagine this moment at the end of an amazing match. <laughs> Just yeah. imagine that. You know, Imagine a match, if they'd have had transplant one of their better matches from later than this into this place, but have that moment as well. I mean, you'd just be off the page, first of all. No one would be talking about WrestleMania theory being overrated or anything if that had happened. The other thing is that I think you're right. I don't think too many people would have been in on this, but I think the commentators and Justin Roberts have to be in on it simply for the fact that they they treat it perfectly like you said the commentators do not speak they just shut up for like a minute they let it sink in they let it wash over everybody let everyone realize that this has happened and you say justin roberts takes his time doesn't announce the victory doesn't the, the music doesn't play either it's just entire let's just let this breathe which we've all talked about this with wwe in the past like they do not let things breathe but in this moment my goodness did they because they were just like we know People are going to need a moment to get over this. Um, the, one, the one thing I did like, though, when you talk about let it breathe, they, the fact they kept on reminding us uh, during the uh, that moment that Cesaro is strong. <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, and so, yeah, and so they all had to be in there, I think, because they, they wouldn't have been able to do this just quite so well as they did. The question, I guess, though, is regardless of how good the moment was, 
was it the right decision? Should they have had Brock Lesnar defeat The Undertaker and end the streak in this moment? I don't know who wants to go first on that question. How Watching this back, I think the way the commentators are talking, I think there is a very real possibility that this may have been The Undertaker done. That's what I think. And I know, and obviously, like I said, with the benefit of hindsight, have a watch the last ride and like he's just talking about how beat up he is and the surgeries that he's had and i be- i maybe get this one but i believe that they just had their little girl as well him and michelle mccall i think this would have been him done and the way that he is after the match obviously he's pretty out of it but even he's still kind of selling it I mean, he's got a look of shock on his face as if he's forgotten that it's Valentine's Day and he's woken up and he realises all the shops are shut and he's forgotten <laughs> by his wife a card. Um, I don't know whether you can say whether it was the right or the wrong decision because I don't know. Let me frame it a different way, old man. If it is his last match, yeah, is it the right choice then? Yeah, I think so because part of the weakness of the way that Lesnar was able to be used was the fact that he had the matches with The Undertaker. I think for me that when they have effectively a best of three, it means, oh, so the first match didn't really matter then. Oh, but the first match was when he broke the streak. So yeah, it don't really, really matter. If what I'm speculating is right, I think it would have worked quite lovely. I Like people have said like a couple of years later, like Roman Reigns should have been the guy to have ended it. I don't really buy that, especially given how fucking awful the match is. But I find it hard to get upset about it in the way that some people do. And I find it hard to argue against it because it's also Brock Lesnar. He's done everything. JBL lists everything that he's done. And if he ain't breaking it, no cunt's breaking it. Tom, what, what do you think? I think it's absolutely right they did it. To, to be perfectly honest, The Undertaker's legendary status isn't going to be defined by the streak. It was an amazing coincidence that it started in the first place and they did a great idea. They did a great job at making it the big deal that it was. Um, which enabled them to protect their um, asset in Brock Lesnar by adding that to him. What I'm, what I'm really glad about is that they haven't had The Undertaker to go on and lose again, because I think it really makes the makes Brock Lesnar stand out as the one person who was able to do the impossible that no one else has done, and it makes Brock Lesnar look great. Whilst I don't necessarily think he needed that, I don't, can't think of it being a better use to anyone else, especially considering his his working schedule with with WWE as well if you had it lost if you lost it to a to a full-timer so say to a Roman Reigns for example he would eventually have to lose and not be you know the the top unstoppable force all the time therefore it would diminish the the act of of, of defeating the streak so I think absolutely it was the right decision to to, to lose uh, end the streak to Brock, Brock Lesnar well I pick you up on one point there um, Undertaker has lost again, lost to Roman Reigns um, later at WrestleMania, so he is um, for two. He has lost twice, oh, okay. um, but 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 that doesn't necessarily. I mean, there's there there is the decision at the time and whether it's the right one then, um, and that's affected by whether you think the Undertaker is retiring or not as a consequence of this match, which I don't think is un reasonable to think that he was going to retire at the, at the conclusion of this match had it been the match he wanted it to be having said that as i said previously whilst we were talking about it i don't think there's any way you could treat the undertaker streak having been up anyway even if it was never his intention to retire and it was, all indication was that he was going to wrestle at wrestlemania 31 and 32 and 33 and whatever else 
you'd still treat it this way you'd still treat it like it was a death of some kind you'd still treat it with this kind of sense of the undertaker's walking away and it fe- it would have to feel like the end of an era no matter whether or not he was going to retire or not in that moment so i don't know if that's clear one way or the other personally about whether he's going to retire so then there's the second thing which is in retrospect was it the right thing to do and i think the thing that people have talked about as you both mentioned i think tommy you, you in particular talked about roman reigns being the guy that should have ended the streak if you like and i can see that but i i think people underestimate the value wwe have got out of lesnar for six years after this point and six years is a heck of a long time i mean austin's run on top only lasted three and a half years so let's not imagine that six years isn't a huge amount of time it is and if you've got six years worth of wrestlemania and SummerSlam main events out of brock lesnar that have felt far more important because brock lesnar's been a part of it and this has this victory over the undertaker has in any way added to how special lesnar feels then i think it's worth it and that's where i i go the the counter argument to whether it's worth it or not is whether or not the undertaker should have stayed undefeated for his entire career at wrestlemania which i I can i can buy into a little bit if you if you feel like that's something that is worth giving the fans especially the fans of wwe or the undertaker who've been with him all this time and have kind of have got to the point where they really are buying into the streak also whether or not it detracts from the show because there is a sense that there are a lot of people upset by it not just shocked by it but upset by it or annoyed by that result and also whether or not at the time, even if he did think he probably would retire afterwards, whether you're like, well, we won't ever be able to sell it again, though. So we'll never be able to sell pay-per-views, WrestleMania pay-per-views, or even a match on the basis that the streak is intact and therefore there's this match to go. So they, just to give you a flavor of the counter arguments, mm. because I do agree with you, I think it was the right decision, but I just wanted to kind of add in some counterpoints that maybe on balance they would want to think about when making this decision. Yeah, I can see the counterpoints. I guess the I guess the, the way you could kind of counter those counterpoints, chain wrestling in terms of our. Uh, in terms of, um, I expect everyone to stand up and give us a round of applause during this bit during the bit of chain arguing. Um, but it's the um, the fact is I don't know. It's in terms of like the crowd. What you're saying, we're being deflated by that. There's a massive pickup at a point yeah, in yeah. the card, obviously. So that that kind of sets it perfectly. Because the crowd are kind of deflated after that. Then you've got the main event where, I mean, imagine if Batista won the main event. Oh. <laughs> the crowd. This weird Air Jordans on. That would have been amazing. Um, because of the way they booked the end of the card, it was the perfect opportunity to do it as well. Because people aren't going to come away from that feeling too deflated after what happens later on. Yeah. I think as well, like, to your point, thinking about selling WrestleMania on the streak. That was kind of in my thinking when I thought it feels like he's going to retire because I think I think there's a risk that that was kind of what you were selling it on was, oh yeah, there's WrestleMania Undertaker's rest and he might you know, continue his streak, but he might not. And I feel like that's quite a weak booking position to be in, especially as someone gets older. And obviously we saw the next year he beats Bray Wyatt, who's still floundering around trying to recover from losing to Cena. And it, it doesn't mean anything. Like yeah. it doesn't it like the whole meaning is lost. But that's partially because there's no streak. Yeah, which that's why I think if this match were the match that they wanted it to be, he would have been done. Yeah, probably. And we'll never know. And I've tried to ask Mark, <laughs> but he hasn't told me, so yeah, I, I, I mean, look, it's 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 fascinating. I think it's a, 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 I agree with you in the sense that this is an amazing moment, one of the 
one of the most amazing moments but i guess the problem is is it just comes at the end of this damp squib of a match which mm. is nobody's fault i mean the Undertaker gets injured but ultimately that is where we are um i don't even know what else they could have done in that position like we you old man you were talking about how you were kind of uncomfortable during the match but the undertaker being who he is and having the quote-unquote pride in his work that he he has how do you how else do you do it after after yeah. that's happened what else do you do you kind of have to finish the match and you have to do it in the way you're going to do it especially knowing the result you're getting to you know if this hadn't been the time when they were going to give up the streak you might have been able to go to the end quicker and you might have been able to do it yeah. in a less climatic way but knowing that you've got to get there i, I just don't know how you do it any other way now, that's what I thought when watching it. I, I was uncomfortable watching it because I know he's concussed, not because it continued. Mm. Just the fact that obviously you know what's going on. And also the bit like the streets just ended and his whole character is the dead man and he's always on his own, apart from when he was with Paul Bearer. So he doesn't get helped to the back either. And it's just kind of like, I remember towards the end, I was like, this poor fucker just needs someone to come in with some smelling salts. And it might wake him up enough so that he can walk to the back. But he can't have any of that because of the legacy that he has <laughs> as, as the dead man is that he's on his own and he's going to walk back on his own. I know from interviews with him, like he can't really remember any of it. But I feel for old Mark because I feel like this, uh, he, he would have enjoyed this from having heard him speak. He would have enjoyed the shock factor, the reaction from the crowd, and also what Lesnar could have done with it. Well, what we do know is for definite, or at least from every interview that I've heard about it, is that it was Vince McMahon's call to end mm. the streak. It wasn't The Undertaker saying, right, I'm going to retire, so yeah. make me end the streak. It was Vince McMahon's call. And um, I, as I say, I think they got value out of it from Brock Lesnar in a way that perhaps they would never have done by having anyone beat, beat The Undertaker, because... Mm. The fans were already rejecting Roman Reigns as a baby face. If you wanted them to reject him more, have him beat The Undertaker. Um, I think, quite frankly, there is no way that they could have passed it directly from The Undertaker. So better to do it this way, almost around him. We forge on with the rest of the show, which is kind of how everybody's feeling at this point after such a big shock. And so the WWE, in their infinite wisdom, decided to put out the women at a time when the women were still not really being treated with any kind of respect for the Vicky Guerrera Divas title invitational match. We had uh, 13 competitors in this one, I believe. Um, 14, in fact, and I will name them all now for you. And this one I was able to do writing down rather than looking up. So we had champion AJ Lee, along with Aksana, Alicia Fox, Summer Rae, Emma, Cameron, Eva Marie, Brie Bella, Nikki Bella, Natalia, Rosa Mendes, Naomi, Layla, Tamina those were the 14 in the match and it goes only seven minutes and AJ Lee wins with a Black Widow on Naomi uh who wants to take this one first uh, I'll go first uh do you know what it's it's interesting watching that because AJ Lee was quite good obviously Natalia has always been a steady hand in the ring but at this moment in time they were the only two that, that were capable of having a decent match Obviously, one thing that is is somewhat reassuring is that specifically, I think Nikki Bella and Naomi in particular do become a lot better mm-hmm. as they go on. They evidently see the the way that it's going. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, um, Naomi's always been a, it's a phenomenal athlete, 
and obviously was capable of, of doing that. But you can see how much work both her and, and Nikki Bella in particular kind of put into the craft and saw the, the way the time was going. But the rest of them have all gone now, haven't they? Or pretty much all of them. In fact, I think the only people left in there are, are Natalia and, and Naomi, I believe. I want to shout out to Alicia Fox. The legend. Yeah, I think mean. she might still be around. I don't, I don't think she is. Tamina's still there, isn't she? Yes. Um, Emma also is working for Impact Wrestling right now. It's Tanil Dashwood, and she's still pretty good. I don't know about the others. I think you're probably right. The others have probably melted away somewhere into non-wrestling. Yeah, yeah I just it was just it, it, it was exactly what it was. No one cares about it. There's no reason to care about it. Um, it's always nice to hear uh, Vicky Guerrero because <laughs> I was such <laughs> very entertaining um well i wrote about vicky guerrero like who is going to follow undertaker's streak being finished in front of the crowd it's vicky guerrero she's gonna (laughs) piss everybody off with her incredible voice which i'm and i'm not being negative i think vicky guerrero is great i think she was great for the period of time that she was in charge and got genuine heat because she did everything that she could to make herself a real hill um she's still going in wrestling she's now in AEW. Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think I, it, it, it was a bit of a nothing match, which is what it was designed to be, unfortunately, um, to get you from the Brock Lesnar match to an Undertaker match to the main event. Served its purpose. You know, there's nothing bad about it, but nothing happened and there was no reason to want anything to happen. It was it was a it was a cool down moment. And that's that's all it was there for. And unfortunately, that was the case at the time. And I'm glad that the women aren't treated in that way anymore. Well, I believe it's the, and I may get this wrong, but I believe it's the very next night that Paige turns up on Raw. Yeah. Um, and so effectively, in a way, they are almost night after transitioning to a, a new age in women's wrestling in WWE. And um, it didn't it didn't instantly take off in quite the way it has done, but it was the sort of first signs of, of a new, forging a new path for them. Um, I thought there were some good little bits here, but ultimately they had no chance to shine there was too many people in the match and they were following the undertaker's loss of the streak so really had no chance did they there is a reason for the match and i'm pretty sure the reason why vicky guerrero doesn't like aj lee is that she stole Dolph Ziggler from her i think i didn't look this up so i'm happy for the listener to correct me and then i'll just delete that tweet and then we can just move on and say, say that I'm correct. <laughs> um, the, the commentators are again disrespectful I think to the women unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult because I completely understand it because they do need to get the mood back up as well because as Tommy said they've all just impersonated Jerry Lawler's sad voice for the last 45 minutes in effect. I know on the on the ladies, I completely forgotten that Oksana existed, so I apologise to her because they said her name and I was like, she? They've pronounced Asuka's name wrong. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> silly fuckers, and she's bloody changed. Um, so two characters in the match, two people with character, Emma, who just decides I've forgotten that like she's just let's dance, let's do it, come on, let's have a good time. Um. The Bella, there's the Bella turn where uh, I think it's Nikki turns on Brie. It's just poor, poor sibling. But it made me, uh, it made me remember the proposal. And what year was it that Cena said to Nikki, "Be my wife"? What year was that? I think maybe 32, maybe 33. One of those two. Yeah, I was going to say because, uh, like Tommy said, there's a big, obviously, improvement in it. And uh, the right lady won. And as 
Tinky said. The following night, the page was turned. Oh, nice. Very nice indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, another interesting bit of trivia here as well. Um, This was the only night on WrestleMania where the Divas title was defended. This is the only defense of the Divas title at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 33 was when Cena legitimately proposed to Bella. Oh, that's nice. And then I think they'd split up by the end of that year. So pretty much the same as what happened with Savage and Elizabeth then. Yeah. (laughs) I only watched the first episode of Total Divas, which I believe I've... um, I've, I've regaled you with on the show in a, in, a, in a silly attempt to try and get my wife into wrestling, which she wasn't interested in. Um, but I like the fact that from, the, from what I gather, the entire first episode is basically John Cena saying that he don't want to get married because he'd already been married and divorced at this point. Yeah. Uh, he then proposed to her a couple of years later and then got broke up. But now he's married again. So he clearly just didn't want to marry Nikki yeah. Bella. Well, you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And it's sad but true. And but gives great TV. So Oh tremendous that's a tremendous one episode of Total Divas that you watched. <laughs> that was obviously, as you say, a kind of a, a chance for everyone to gather themselves and, and calm the crowd down and what well, maybe not calm them to run down, but probably bring them up a little bit or make them forget about what had just happened with The Undertaker and Lesnar. And then there's a little bit more of that before we get the main event. So we have a backstage segment where Gene Oakland introduces Hulk Hogan. Um, nice bit of nostalgia there. Uh, he's confronted by Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, who, who everything begins quite cordial at this first, and then they start to get angry with him. Not really sure why. Mr. T then arrives on the scene, um, and so we have effectively the WrestleMania lineup, but it's not complete without Pat Patterson in his refereeing gear also turning up, but he was, of course, the referee for the match of WrestleMania 1, um, telling everyone to put it behind them. It's been 30 years. Um, in fact, I think he says 29 years. Credit to him. Didn't go with the 30th anniversary bullshit. And then they all shake hands, uh, and that's the end of that segment. And then just before the main event, we have a number of legends in the crowd that are introduced uh, Bruno Sammartino, Harley Race, Bob Backlund, Dusty Rhodes, and Bret Hart, all shown at ringside. Who gets the biggest reaction? Oh, that would definitely be uh, Harley Race got the biggest reaction. Bollocks, you're like, full of shit. You know it's the Hitman. Yes, the Hitman definitely gets the biggest part of ringside. And Bret Hart chucks up the horns. Did he used to do that? Did he? Yeah. I must have missed that in all my years of watching Bret Hart matches. What is his main thing, though, was it? He, he did used to throw up. I mean, I guess it's one of those weird things. It kind of got co-opted by the click, didn't it? But, uh, yeah, although this is more like a wolf rather than the horns. Yeah, well, I wonder whether the horn is also supposed to represent a win, a W. Mm. You've given us a lot to think about here, Tinky. So then we get to the main event. It starts with Randy Orton entering to his song being played by the band that recorded it i assume then batista comes out and as you mentioned earlier on he's wearing some lovely some lovely sneakers or pumps or traders or whatever you want to call them and <laughs> no fanfare for no, batista whatsoever no, it's, it's no, really poor you've got you've got the the band playing randy orton's theme song which i must admit is quite a good performance of the of the theme song which you don't hear very often but i did think to myself it must be an incredibly boring song to play because nothing really happens in it. That singer showed full investment in it, so I give him credit. No, for that. no, no, he does, but I mean, like, sorry, I mean the musicians, like the the guitarist, and the because right. there's nothing going on in the song. He also has to perform it about three times because it takes yeah. really so long to get into the fucking ring. So there's that. Then obviously you've got Daniel Bryan. Like I'm jumping ahead a little. Daniel Bryan comes out. He's got the yes, and he's got the t-shirt, and everyone's loving. Batista nothing there's nothing there's no fireworks it's like wanders down to the ring it's like oh there's dave 
get your shorts on. We have what you have packed your boots and these weird Jordans on. <laughs> when he comes down, he obviously goes to do his little thing. Must remember, there's no pyro, so he does a pirouette <laughs> <laughs> and then hits the floor and then goes down to the ring. I, uh, I'll be honest, right? I know Batista's wearing some very odd shoes, but his little like tight things over his calves and his shins. I've worn those when I've been running, when I've had shin splints. That would be my wrestling garb because they're incredibly comfortable and good for the shins. Regardless of what we think of him now, and I think, to be honest, opinions have turned on Batista somewhat in the last few years, mainly because of his Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. And then also because we've heard more about his opinions on the wrestling business. And um, in addition to all that, he you've maybe seen... There was a documentary on the network, I think, which was about Batista coming back to the WWE at this point. He's also apparently acknowledged that um, he should have been a heel when he came back. WWE insisted on being a babyface. But when he came back, before he had done that, there already wasn't a great deal of respect for Batista and what he had done in the business. And then for him to come back as this part-timer, effectively in the minds of a lot of people, stealing the spot that was Daniel Bryan's by right and winning the Rumble on effectively his first match back and getting the main event of WrestleMania, which again, people were kind of annoyed, even if it wasn't on the behalf of Brian, it was on behalf of the, the whole of the roster. Um, CM Punk included, of course, at that time as well. The, yeah, he they instantly turned against him. And by this point, as you say, he's kind of turned heel in, in, a, in a way, but not fully. And so there's just absolutely no reaction to him at all coming to the ring. He's got no, there's just no interest. He's, pants even for him like friend of the show johnny morgan always talks about how it looked like his pants had been painted on his pants are tiny like you can almost count his pubes although he's he's gone with a with a matte finish not a gloss finish yes, as yes. in this previous yeah. run so he's got he's gone with a different brand of paint he went to b&q and said i want something <laughs> different it looks more like whoopee cushion material than uh... <laughs> process why they're so tight it is just just a handful of whoopee cushions tied together so let's let me fast forward to the end and i'll get your opinions on the match um so brian wins by forcing batista to tap out to the yes lock uh tom your thoughts on the match the match is really good it is really good um the, they really kind of hammer home the, the the fact that all the odds are against Daniel Bryan. He's got a bad shoulder. Like there's a bit of like normal standard triple threat fair at the beginning, but then Randy Orton and Batista decide to team up and and work together. They do what is an incredible spot: the Batista bomb into an RKO on the announce table, which looks amazing. It's actually it's not really. It's it's more a neckbreaker than an RKO. Let's be <laughs> honest, but still. It's it's still a really great spot. It looks like absolute agony because Randy Orton lands on one of the monitors yeah. and he looks like he's in absolute agony afterwards, which is by far the most painful moment in this match. Um, it really kind of really kicks up into overdrive when Triple H and Stephanie come down at the ring. Triple H in his uh, WWE Performance Center tracksuit with his towel around his neck, <laughs> quite like he gets that he gets the hammer out, doesn't get to use it, and then. Um, older Daniel Bryan hits him it's Triple H with it it's like fuck off have that and then or I may be getting the order the wrong way around but then they bring out the, the scumbag the absolute filth the waste of human space that is Scott Armstrong to come out <laughs> I know your brother's not doing too well at the moment so you know my thoughts and prayers are with you but he comes out tries to deliver a shit count Daniel Bryan splashes him fuck out of here and then 
yeah, it's just great. The, the bit at the end is, well, there's a, there's a moment in it where you're convinced that Daniel Bryan isn't going to win it when, oh, fuck, I can't remember. Someone might have to fill me in on the details now, but there's, there's just a moment where it really seems like he's not going to win it, and the count breaks up, and that's when the crowd just go into overdrive. Mm. so good. The end is great. It's, it's nice nice to have a, a, a match ending and a submission in a WrestleMania main event. Feels a bit feels a bit different. Yeah. I'll be honest, I wasn't as high on it as I thought I was. I think up until the point that um, Triple H comes down, it's actually a bit stale and a bit dull. All anybody wants is the finish. That's all they want. And they want to explode or they want to burn down the building if he doesn't win. I believe it is an RKO by Orton and then he pins Batista. Mm. And the crowd are just like, ah really and then batista kicks out and that's when it implodes and the crowd are like fuck me this is actually going to happen and the finish is absolutely tremendous i don't really like stretcher spots i gotta be honest i think they're um i think they're a bit shit but in fairness this bloody works because i think it what it looks like he could be legitimately hurt people know there aren't there's a lot of medical people down as well, which I think is, I don't know whether it was a conscious thing, but I think there's five or six people come down. And normally it's like one guy with some bloody tape to have a look at someone when their leg's falling off. But I, th- I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay as a match. I feel like, I feel like it's probably as good as they could do, the three of them. And we get the, we get the finish, which is what we're all waiting for. So I, I think quality wise is not as good as the match between Daniel Bryan and Triple H earlier in the show but I would still put on a par with anything on WrestleMania 19 I genuinely would I think that this is excellent and maybe for a different reason than the stuff at WrestleMania 19 again for me this is a much more traditional presentation of pro wrestling in the sense that there's a result that people want and are hoping for and will be convinced over the course of this match that they're not going to get just enough so that when they do get it it works perfectly so that they're absolutely overjoyed by that fact. And so I think that's what all this stuff is about. So Triple H, as you said, Tom, they're really stacking the deck. It's against Orton and Batista, Triple H, Stephanie, Scott Armstrong, a ride on the on the stretcher. Like literally ev- they chuck everything at him. There's, there's, there's ample opportunity for you to believe, oh, hang on. This is it now. Surely they're not going to, you know, surely he's not going to win now. This is the, and, and the end bits builds that perfectly because they don't just have the, the RKO on Batista. But they have the bit where Daniel Bryan himself, um, I think he is it either he or Orton, um, I can't remember which one now, uh, does a jumps over the a charging Batista and Batista takes them down and then they go for the pin. And it's almost like because it's it was a mistake, i.e. I, the, the idea that Batista missed his original target and got somebody else, that that feels like a good ending to the match. Or it could be the end. Like it's, mm. it wouldn't have been anticlimactic had it been the end. And yet it's still not the end because they want to get you to the right result. I think that you're right about the early going. There's a little bit of a kind of, I think, first of all, the crowd are still shattered from everything they've mm. already seen. And also we, they don't care about Batista. So they, so early on, Randy Orton and Batista sort of chuck Brian out of the ring and they fight each other and no one really cares. But thankfully, and this is where I got to give some credit to Orton here, he, when those moments are around, when there's no Brian involved, Orton's carrying, in terms of the crowd response, he's carrying the match. He's getting them back into it by by posing, by kind of, mm. you know, taunting them. It, like he's do- he does a great job. 
I know we've revised in some ways our opinions on Batista, but I do think he's really poor in this match overall. Batista's just not good. Everything he does seems like it's laboured, doesn't look comfortable in there. I mean, he's only had effectively one match in years and that was at the rumble so like i think may have worked a a, a rule or something between the two but like literally he's had if that one match in order to to prepare for this wrestlemania match in years and he let's be honest was never a you know an absolutely technical gem in the first place so like i feel like he really struggles his reaction to him struggles and his his actual just work in the ring is not great but i think they 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 threw everything at it, as you said, Triple H and Stephanie. There are receipts being handed out all over the place. So Triple H and Stephanie get their comeuppance. Scott Armstrong mm. has his comeuppance. Batista and Orton get their comeuppance. Um, Orton in particular had been kind of the and the antagonist of Daniel Bryan throughout the six or seven months since the SummerSlam had happened. They all got their comeuppance. And in the end, Daniel Bryan wins. I think, as I say, I find it difficult to be completely objective about it because it did mean a lot to me personally for Daniel Bryan to win. And it's the first time since I was a child, I think, or maybe not since I was a child, but certainly since like the later parts of the Attitude Era, where there was a result that I actually genuinely cared about mm-hmm. the actual result and so it's very difficult for me to remove myself from that but I, I still think that you listen to the crowd the fact they've had to go through nearly four hours by the end in fact they have gone through four hours by the end of action and yet they are absolutely in it for the last four or five minutes of this match it says everything you could want about how good the match was so I do think it's a great match it's not a classic it's not as good as Daniel Bryan Triple H at the start of the show but it's an amazing couple of bookends that this show has got I agree. And, and you're right. I, I come up feeling the same. Like I've never been, I don't know, probably since WrestleMania 19, I've never been a full on, since probably no, WrestleMania 18, I think. I haven't been a full on week by week follower of the project product ever. Um, and I go through waves of where it peaks and in my interest in when I go out of it. And I can remember being, I remember being very invested in Daniel Bryan winning that, winning that title as well. And, and it is, it's rare to get such a unified happy ending. Yes. You know what I mean? That everyone wants. Mm. And that it happened. They, they, they hit the nail on the head perfectly. And, and it, was, yeah, it was it was so well done. And yeah, that that's what. And that's kind of ties into what I said back earlier about these moments in this WrestleMania. That that I always I always kind of put this WrestleMania. And it's kind of segueing into my final thoughts, I guess, a little bit. But I always put this WrestleMania up there with the 17s and the, and the 19s, I'd say. Uh, oh man, you said 24 last week that you as 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 a as a very good WrestleMania. I put it up there with those ones because of those moments rather than the actual quality of the matches on the card. Because it's those those moments, the Undertaker losing in particular, and the Daniel Bryan storyline is just something that will stay with me forever. Mm. And also the opening segment as well. Like yeah. those those moments, the moments that will stay with me forever. Um, from you know, in terms of wrestling, and and that's why it goes up there as one of the best WrestleManias for me. I think also partially there's a if you look back back on it, there's also a sullying. That's not quite the right word, but it does bring it down in terms of its importance because of what happened to Brian like a month later, where basically mm-hmm. yeah. he was he retired, not retired. He, he got injured and then was out for like nine, ten months, came back for like a couple of months and then was injured again and had to retire. And so it kind of that kind of dampens your enthusiasm for it. But it's, uh, it's it, all about it's all about the chase anyway, isn't it? Really, that if you if you were making a film of Daniel Bryan's career, yeah. that would be the end. Do you yeah, know what I mean? true. That's the happy ending. And I think it's also though, is, forget the chase for a moment. It's also 
it's like you said it's kind of happened like that's the point like you've got the result once you've got the result you feel like everything's great it's like when your team goes a sports fan your team goes on a long run to the final you know that they have to win it and it will then never be taken away it will be done you've won that tournament you've won that trophy no matter what happens to your team in the future no matter how bad they might be again in the future no matter how many times they may lose in the future is if they get to the final and win the trophy or they win the premier league or whatever it is you know that they're they're involved in you can say they've done it and they've held on to it i think so for me that's where even what happens after this doesn't dampen this too much because you still have the moment and it did happen and and you and you you follow it through to the end so tom since you've already kind of given a little bit of your overall thoughts on the show why don't you also tell us about your best match and uh, your rating out of 10 for the show best match is the first match the opener daniel bryan triple h it's just it's just brilliant and, and just really gets gets the pay-per-view off to off to a tremendous start in terms of matches um that ultimately doesn't really live up to the the high standards that are put in there but it's still a great opener and a great match and would would be the best match on a lot of pay-per-views as well, I think, safe to say. Um, overall, I think I'm going to give that an eight. I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it in one go yesterday as well. I didn't feel bored at any point in it. The one thing I did notice, though, actually, is there aren't any backstage interview segments at all no. in the entire show, which I don't know. It's not necessarily a negative or, or a pro in my in my or a plus in my opinion but it was just something i noticed which felt a bit odd because when it came to, and i meant to say this earlier but when it comes to the main event you're like oh yeah randy orton and batista are in this <laughs> as well because there's no mention of them in the entire pay-per-view building after that but it doesn't need it and yeah i think it's a very very good wrestlemania i think they sacrificed those backstage bits for the time at the start for hogan rock and austin i think that's what happened there mm. yeah yeah probably right there yeah oh man it's a mixed bag, but there's enough good stuff in the uh, in the old goodie bag. So the best match is the first match, like Tom said. That would be the best match on many pay-per-views. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. The only thing that I really didn't enjoy is the Wyatt and Cena <laughs> match, as I think the listener and you guys have probably guessed. Um, I enjoyed the rest. I found the undertaker match uncomfortable to watch but again that's that's not that's just one of those things i think the pacing of the show struggles because the cena wire and undertaker lesnar again because of the concussion i think they're very similarly paced matches but they're different enough that that doesn't really affect it i would also give this an eight to be fair if the first match was the only match on there and the rest of it was just someone taking a shit for half an hour, I would have probably still given it an eight. As Tom said right at the very start, and it's summed up by Michael Cole, he says towards the end of his commentary, what a WrestleMania moment about Daniel Bryan. And that's just reflective of the whole show, I think. It's got some lovely moments that you'll take away Remember forever, it shapes around Daniel Bryan in the feel-good story. And uh, the feeling that I think feels a little bit WrestleMania 20-esque in that this is someone who probably shouldn't make it, but he has. And he's done it through working bloody hard and looking a bit like a goat as JBL. That's something I haven't mentioned, actually. JBL's obsession with him looking like a goat is fucking stupid. He should have just been smacked around for saying it in the first instance. The bookends are lovely. The middle books are decent. 
but not classic literature. But either end, you've got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein <laughs> and Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Lovely old job. Have it. <laughs> it's one for the liter- literary fans. So I, I, I've yeah. never read either of his books. So. Oh, they're, they're excellent. I would highly recommend it. Crime and Punishment is very long and it's quite heavy, but it is magnificent. You took the whole bookend analogy to a whole new level there. Uh, yeah. I'm giving it a nine, which because I think it's on a par with WrestleMania 19 and because the two shows are completely different. Like they're, 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 they're good in different ways. WrestleMania 19 has five matches at the end, which I think are all really good. Um, and some are very good. WrestleMania 30 doesn't have that many good matches. But the two matches that it does, I think one of them is on par with the best from WrestleMania 19 and the other one's better than anything from WrestleMania 19. I also am not as low on the John Cena Bray Wyatt matches as you are, old man. I actually thought it was a a very good match and um, it was let down by the results, no doubt about it. But in terms of the match itself, I thought it was very good. And I think you also have to kind of give the Rock, Hogan and Austin segment or make that part of your rating because it's 25 minutes long nearly it's a huge part of the show and it's wonderful it's a real let's draw a line under everything that we've done that's been fantastic in wrestlemania history before and start again and at the time this felt like a reset daniel bryan winning the main event undertaker losing the streak cesaro winning the andre the giant Mount memorial battle royal you've got these great characters in the Wyatt family and in the shield coming through. It was all part of the reason why at the time I was really quite hopeful for what WWE had in store for us in the future, because it felt like there was a lot of new, really exciting stuff going on. Now, ultimately, as we've sort of touched upon during this, uh, during this podcast, that lots of it fell away. Lots of it didn't materialize into the things we wanted it to. Um, But in the moment, it feels like it's going to, and that's why I think it deserves the the rating. I've given it of a nine. I think that the best match is the opening match. I, as I've said already, I think it's an absolute classic and will stand up to any. It'd be, it's in the conversation for best WrestleMania of all, match of all time, in my view. Um, it is great. And I think the main event's really good, too. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it will be I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it, looking at it um so seven years later because i remember at the time thinking it was great but you know sometimes your perception can change when you're watching it live and who you're watching it with is another major thing and uh, you don't tend to necessarily pay as much attention when you're around friends and you're like you know you're drinking beer and there's six or seven of you together or whatever you don't you don't give it the same attention sometimes things can you can miss and other things you can gladly miss because they're not so good but i think even for me even the battle royal served its purpose and was fine um so yeah, that's my feelings and thoughts, and I think uh, we've just about covered every single thing we could want to to think about. Um, one, one other thing, just wondering uh, if you had a bookcase of WrestleManias, <laughs> <laughs> on which on which shelf would you be putting this one? It'd be on the top shelf if the top shelf is classic. Tinky, you're always looking at the top shelf, you pervert. <laughs> if oh, the God, top that, was shelf... all, that was all that was all that was yeah, all that done. Was all done. Don't don't need it anymore. Done. Fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I think well, it's clear, isn't it? I've given it a nine out of ten. It's got to be yeah. in the top tier uh, of of events. Okay, so we have got just one more 
uh, point of business. But before we get there, we'll just throw a quick plug out for our social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at RWIPod UK for all of that goodness. Obviously, every single Wednesday, we, re- we reveal what our next episode is going to be about. And also on Tuesdays, we give you the top five things from the podcast. There's still plenty of things to look out for on those channels. So we come to the game. And Tom, I believe you are our host today. So what's what's in store? Well, I, I'm here. Thanks, cheers, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for turning up. Um, it's a quick uh, quick question. So, uh, Tiki, what do you do for a living? I'm a business analyst, Thomas. Ooh, sounds interesting. And and you, old man? I'm a student administrator. Ah, lovely, lovely stuff. Well, now you've got the pleasantries out of the way. Um, so, what does every wrestling fan hate according to WWE? Wrestling, which is why throughout. The entirety of the history of Monday Night Raw, there have been uh, detritus, some might say, of wrestling-hosted chat shows that take Ooh. place in the ring. Therefore, there I've got 20 here of in-ring interview segments. Please, can you let me know what they were called and who hosted them? Oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> we are in so much it's, it's, I'll be honest, there's a, there's a couple of absolute stinkers on here, boys. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm gonna go with Old Man first. Okay, the Kevin Owens show. That is correct. From 2017 to present. Thank goodness good she said something I've never I didn't know existed. <laughs> <laughs> um, the King's Court. <laughs> Jerry Lawler hosted that. I did ask for the host as well. Oh, sorry. Well, Jerry. Oh, sorry. Uh, discontinued segment. Uh, so ran originally from 1993 to 1995, but there was a uh, reinstatement of it in 2019 after Jerry Lawler returned to Raw commentary. Mm, very nice. Uh, Chris Jericho's highlight reel. Uh, that is correct. The highlight reel. Uh, come on, where are my stats about it? Uh, so it's had four different incarnations. 2003 to 2005, 2008 to 2010, 2012 to 2014, and 2016 to 2017. Wow. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think Old Man's going to win this one. Because um, I'm not even sure of the fucking names. That's the problem. <laughs> um, Heartbreak Hotel by Shawn Michaels. Heartbreak Hotel, 1994 is the only year it ran for. Uh, kind of taking a bit of a chance for this. But uh, Brutus Beefcake's Barber Shop. I, I oh, knew I should I knew oh, I should have gone for Miz TV stupid cunt oh, mate. I'm, I'm glad you didn't because I had the Miz show written down and I was like well that ain't right I don't know what it's called but <laughs> I will I will try and do one more because otherwise it doesn't really feel fair because old man went first yeah and I'm going to throw this out there and I, I, I think potentially why it might have been revived at some point Piper's Pit by Roddy Correct. Piper 2005, 2010, 2012, and 2014. And I'll be honest, that's it. That would my right. entire list was done. I was I no. was counting on my old man fucking up there. <laughs> right, you're, you're, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> there's there's one with Edge, and I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. So we've got uh, the Brother Love Show, hosted oh. by Brother Love. The Love Shack, hosted by Dude Love. Okay. This uh-huh. one, this one, I can't believe you guys didn't get. Carlito's Cabana. <laughs> this is another one, another classic. Striker's Classroom with Matt Striker. Fuck it out. The Cutting Edge with Edge. Oh. Uh, VIP Lounge with MVP. Oh, Still yes. to go. There's also The Peep Show 
with Christian. <laughs> then the Cutting Edge Peep Show with Edge and Christian. <laughs> the Ambrose Asylum. Oh, fuck off. Fucking hell. The Sammy and Kevin Show. <laughs> Kevin Owens and Sammy Zane. Alexa's Playground with Alexa Bliss. Oh, uh, yeah. Truth TV. Oh. The Dirt Sheet with John Morrison and The Miz. Mm. And the latest one, Ding Dong Hello with Bailey. Bailey. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised that was a low score because there are some difficult ones in there. Yeah. i got to be honest. I... I'm not even surprised I didn't. Like, there were nothing. When you read those answers out, there was nothing there. I was like, oh, I should have got that. Like, n- nothing. I was like, every single one. I maybe have heard of them, but I would have never remembered them before you said them. I'll be honest, Tommy. That was a good one. That was a good one. It was very, very tough. Made us look like a pair of jabronis, though, didn't it? Yeah. Well, do you know what, though? To be fair, like I said, you, you guys are the real fans. You like the wrestling. <laughs> like, uh, like, but it is, it is funny, isn't it? Like, this, this trope. Because, like, if you look at look at a few dates, there's like always been one. There's always yeah. been at least one going at any one time. And some of them are like, abs- I mean, like who the fuck wanted to give Carlito one? You can understand. You can like Jerry Lawler and the, one of the world's greatest talkers, Chris Jericho. I know you hate him, Stinky, but you know, pretty good, pretty good stick man. Edge, very, very good, very good character during Miz, perfect for it. MVP, perfect for it. The Ambrose Asylum. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That like, doesn't even fit that character. That's the thing. Even no. if you say, even if you say, yeah, he's a great talker. What? Why is that character having a talk show? A chat show. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's not Jay Leno. Um, I think. I mean, I think if you're a if you're an act in WWE, you are pushing for one, aren't you? Because it makes you completely relevant and means that you'll be on Raw regularly and you'll have work and it, it feeds storylines for you personally as well as other people. So you would you'd be pushing for it if you um if you were in there. I'd have thought. But yeah, good one. A really tough one. And yeah, we as I said, we kind of showed us have to be a couple of a couple of jabronis on that one. Um and talking of jabronis, old oh man, say goodbye to everybody today. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And remember, Kemp Terror. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> and Thomas, and uh, Thomas, thanks again for your company uh, these last few hours. Ah, oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed chatting about that show and that was that was quite fun. And then, again, thank you to all the people who continue to download and support the podcast. We uh, we really, really appreciate it. Indeed. And I will add my appreciation to you all as well for getting this far into the show. We will, of course, be back next week where we will be leaving WrestleMania in the rearview mirror. But until then, take care.